This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Navarro and Danvers head off for a final showdown in the ice caves of Night Country. After falling through a few levels, they eventually find Clark skulking around and follow him until they reach what turns out to be a secret drilling room that has been hidden underneath the Salal Research Station this entire time. After interrogating Clark, it's revealed that Annie Kay found the room and proof of the scientist's collaboration with the mine to make more pollution that softened the tundra which made their work possible. Annie Kay destroyed years of their research, and the scientist, angry with her at delaying what they thought would be world-saving research, murder her. Navarro lets Clark outside to freeze himself to death as Danvers sleeps, then begins to heed the call of the ice. Danvers tries to find her before falling through the thin sea ice, and Navarro manages to snap out of the ghost world long enough to save her from freezing to death. On further investigation, they find three-fingered handprints on the secret tunnel entrance, which remind them of Blair, who Navarro interviewed in a battery case earlier in the season. They drive out to confront her and find B and many village women there to confront them right back. They tell a story of the women of the village discovering the scientists' secrets and banding together to drive the men at the Salal station out naked into the ice. Danvers and Navarro are satisfied that justice is done and leave in peace. Months later, Navarro has disappeared, and Danvers answers questions about the bizarre investigation with outside detectives. The mine has been shut down, Danvers seems to be at peace, and is visited once more by her friend Navarro at the close of the series. From the dusty mesa Welcome to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for True Detective on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 4, Episode 6. It's Night Country Part 6. Uh, this is the finale. It's no more after this. So I hope you got your fill. Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Um, Man, I got a lot to say. Uh, you know, I, you know, ah, man. Um, I think the finale was not as successful in some of the things as it was in others. And when I listened to the official podcast, it made abundantly clear that Issa Lopez always intended this to like have a big statement about murdered and missing indigenous women. Right. I mean, we knew that from yeah, the, the season going forward and mm. that her big idea was to in plain sight, have the killers be these kind of women that everyone overlooks. They're invisible. You know, um, no one takes them seriously. Like, I I think it's interesting that in six weeks with almost everyone suspected in, in, in feedback at some point, even like the deliver guy was suspected. I don't think I got a single email that said, you know what? The women who have access to the Salal facility and have been in, already interviewed by the police, they are the ones who killed it. Like, it's just like not even a thought that, that uh, these women would be capable of violence. And I thought that's kind of neat. I think that's an interesting um way to 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 look at things um and also it's also very clear that this was not intended to be a true detective project um which has always been known to kind of play footsie with the supernatural and with ghosts but also to inevitably a scooby-doo thing i think Issa lopez's work like you know tigers aren't afraid is is not exactly out of that lane entirely but it's certainly a lot more towards the supernatural side um 
so it's like it feels like there was some structural damage done to the show when it was tried been been hammered into the true detective shape when true detective things were bolted on uh i thought some of those earlier inferences were pretty good but the some some of the ones from last night uh or from the finale episode didn't hit me as great <sighs> but it's like it's really even hard to talk about this because it's it's just really frustrating because i went on and i saw i read the official reddit and i saw Seppenwall wall oh, no. getting drug and people saying that he's only carrying this agenda our name was got mixed up and in, in out was out in the streets uh people being disappointed in our coverage because we're obviously praising this show that's about this um you know kind of a woke agenda and it's like i don't i don't know what to say man um uh i like the things i like i hate the things i hate i'm not afraid or shy about saying that thing those things um i do try to when i am critical of things that are women-led or minorities led to make sure that i couch those in terms that people can't misinterpret my criticism of the thing versus criticism of the person but i do have the criticism like last episode i said hey i love women and female creators i like that but i do have some issues but it's like it doesn't matter man like the battle lines have been drawn and like you can't like this show oh, yeah. unless you bow down at the feminazi altar and you can't hate this show unless you are uh you know uh, a woman hating knuckle dragger uh, there are certainly those types on both sides of this divide and people mm -hmm. in the middle getting caught up. But it's like, shit, man, um, this was certainly not the worst season of uh, True Detective. That <laughs> distinction belongs to season two. <laughs> Pretty easy. Uh -huh. It's certainly not the best episode season of True Detective. That distinction lies with season one of True Detective. But I think this comfortably sits in with like season three. Maybe it's a little bit better. Maybe it's a little worse. Um that's my opening thoughts let's 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 get to what you think and then i might get back to some others yeah it's tough to talk about you know subjective stuff in terms of good or bad right it really comes down to tastes uh was yeah. this aligned with your tastes um was it not and i think that's where like the some of the stuff falls flat for me it's not necessarily that it was bad um in in areas because you know uh the stuff like time is a flat circle. There's nothing inherently bad about that line. But, you know, for my taste, it maybe was too direct a point toward season one. Um, the, the, the spiral imagery having, you know, not a lot to do with the plot in the end. Not to my taste. Having a lot of open questions at the end. Not to my taste. Um, I, I like, and I've, I've been saying this for years now, I like my fiction to have a nice neat bow on it. If I want messy, I go to the real world. If I want neat and tidy, I go to fiction. And you can do a little bit of unanswered stuff, but I feel like this show was doing a lot of unanswered stuff. Um, and, and, I, and I have my opinions on where it comes down on those questions, like the big one about Navarro, right? Did Navarro kill herself? Is she out at some lake house just living the good life? Um, I, I feel like I know where the show is on that. And I'm okay with that. It's just some of this stuff didn't line up with my tastes. But I think overall, the themes that they're going for are A, interesting, and B, important. And I think that is kind of the mark of, at the very least, a good show. It's doing something that is not often done, and it's doing it fairly well. Like I said, the storytelling has been very subtle. Sometimes it gets a little too subtle. 
mm-hmm. in that it doesn't actually connect all the dots. And I think that maybe the tongue is a case of that, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Uh, but for the most part, the storytelling has been subtle enough, but not but not leaving me hanging. I felt like, oh, I just need to think about this for a second. And it's not that I need to fill in gaps that aren't there. I just need to connect the dots that there that are there, and it will tell me what happened in this story. Um, so I, I appreciate that type of storytelling. It's like a it's like a Christopher Nolan type storytelling where he's not going to hand you every single answer, but he is going to have information in there that if you think about it for a while and you really talk about it, you can understand, oh yeah, there is a through line here. All of this kind of connects. So for me, that's what the, that's ultimately what the finale did with maybe some exception. I want to talk about also like people are talking about like, you know, the critic agenda and whatnot and the audiences and stuff. And I, I just remember that Tree Detective season one, a lot, it, I was kind of frustrated because a lot of the professional critics that I like were suffering from like fatigue of this, what was becoming cliche and prestige drama, which is drama centered around, you know, men big men behaving badly, you know, like this was coming on, Mm -hmm. you know, we got done with Sopranos and the wire, which features their two star detectives are wrecks of human beings of question, moral, you know, dubiosity outside of their police work and even inside their police work. You had uh, Walter White, a Breaking bad. You had Don Draper and Madman. It's like, just like all these like samey type characters. And a lot of critics are like, Oh, I get that. Like when you get a, you know, it's like, even if it's really good, top shelf vanilla bean french vanilla ice cream it's still a lot of gallons of vanilla ice cream you're eating at the end of the day and and also as one who loved the first season of true detective contemporaneously and and remains a big fan to this day the fans were awful divided on that finale episode a lot of people who were wanting Mm -hmm. to love craft are disappointed a lot of people who were wanting the purely rational stuff are disappointed a lot of people disappointed how anticlimactic it was and it's like oh my god you had this big showdown which wasn't a big showdown and you got half the uh episode in the hospital with marty and russ crying about this and it's like you know, I, I just don't know what the t- I don't I, I never know how to, to take the, the public criticism because it's it's very fickle and it certainly changes with the wind. But and, uh, and in aggregate, it's it's weird, right? Because like you can take the temperature of everyone, but any individual is going to have different ideas and different complaints. Right, so like right. you can say, oh, the you guys have rose color rose color glasses for season one because not a lot of people really love that finale, but then. You talk to the one person who absolutely loved it, and sure. what are you going to tell them, right? Yeah, I mean, I still get to this day. I got it. I got a piece of email just this morning that was annoyed that we advertised the walking upcoming Walking Dead, the ones who live, as scraping the bottom of the pre- prestige television barrel. It's like that is mm-hmm. the most uncontroversial opinion I think I could have, and yet yeah. some people are like you guys are being a little too like, I, I hey. Hey, I earned my spot at that that particular uh, bitcher's table. Okay, I I, yeah. I spent twelve twelve plus years covering that show for good or bad, mostly bad. So it's like I, I just you know I don't know. Um, I think the bot at the end of the day, like the True Detective packaging seemed like it was a mistake. Although I was talking to another friend of mine and we looked at the ratings because I, I threw out, it's like, man, I think if true detective sharp objects had come out, people would hate sharp objects. I think if true detective mayor of Winningham had come out. People would have hated that. I think, 
you know, Treaty Tech, what's the other one that I can think of that was really good? Sharp Objects, Mayor of Winning. There's another one. <laughs> but, Mayor of Easttown. People might be confused as to what you're actually talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. I fuck. Uh, yeah. That, uh, and, and I think, you know, Sharp Objects was amazing. Mayor of Winning Time or whatever was mm-hmm. pretty mediocre. Um, but, like, it wouldn't be fair to put those things under this banner. I don't think it was fair to Issa Lopez. But then I also look back at the ratings. Mm-hmm. Like, Night Country was double the ratings of Sharp Objects. It's the uh, most watched ep- uh, season of True Detective ever. So qu- quadruple the ratings yeah. of uh, the mayor of East Titanic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yes, that it, it's probably unfair for this show to put it in that container. But putting that container gave Issa Lopez a show such a much bigger platform. And also the people, the people saying this show had sucked from like week one. And, and like the critics are in on it and all that. I don't understand how you can explain how this show gained 10 to 12, 15 to 20% audience week over week over week. You know, yeah. like, are we all in on it? Is Nielsen in on it? Like, I don't, I, it's just like, I know, I think this show, and, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, this finale is especially divisive, but again, that, mm-hmm. I was, I went through this, the True Detective season one. I remember the, say the subreddit and our feedback when, well, we, we did that show in retrospect, but a lot of Look, people were unhappy with that. It's rare, it is a very rare show where the finale is not divisive. I mean, yes. I can count on the one hand the number of shows I've seen where everybody's been like, yep, that finale was great. Right. And we've kind of so. been spoiled because a lot of that has been happening in the golden age of television. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't know. Um, you know, our, we are a completely independent podcast. We don't even really have advertising that we have editorial control over. It's just all automated ads. Um, I it, it, We almost have zero. We almost never get screeners, almost never interview. Like we are as isolated. And like if you think that our compi- opinion is contaminated, <laughs> I, I I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh this was, I think, a pretty good season of True Detective. I think Issa Lopez is a very talented writer and director with a bright future ahead of her. Um, you know, I would have said that 10 years ago about Nick Pizzolatto, but look at where we're at. You know, he is on Instagram sniping at Issa. Issa's probably going to go on to her next yeah. horror project or true crime project, and it's going to be it's going to be amazing. So I think the real mistake here was not necessarily calling it true detective uh for me anyway like a lot of people hated that but for me the real mistake there was trying to tie it so heavily trying to point so heavily at season one and say ha this is all in the same universe like none of the other seasons really did that they didn't they didn't need to maybe but uh, maybe it felt like oh we need to really tell people that this is true detective because it's been four years and different creators are on this but i thought that was the mistake if you had just ah. told me a, a straight story about, you know, these cops up here in Alaska and never mentioned, never brought up the spiral, never mentioned Travis Cole, never mentioned the time is a flat circle, I would have been totally fine. And I would have said, yep, this is the next installment of True Detective because it's got the name on it. Vigorous nodding on this side of the podcast. I completely agree. And I would love to hear an oral history of the, how this whole deal went down. Because well, right. I could see I could I could see where Issa Lopez is like, ah, OK, sure. Why not? More exposure and kind of like half heartedly did that kind of stuff. I could see an instance where, 
you know, uh, some of the staff writers they brought in to kind of like, you know, go through and put in, punch up some of that stuff for True Detective. I could also see where Issa Lopez is like, oh, True Detective goes home and watch it. Oh, wow, this is actually really cool. And I could see like some ways and she organically kind of went in and like was enthusiastic about it and maybe over too enthusiastic about it. But you're right. None of the other seasons of True Detective really tied in. I know we looked real hard for those tie-ins. Um, it it might have been a mistake to it. It, it felt like um, <laughs> what did Jesus say to the Laodiceans in Revelation? Uh, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I'm gonna spit. You know, if if you were hot, oh. you'd be you you would be comforting on a cold day. If you're if you're cold, you'd be quench my thirst on a hot day. But I'm just blah, I'm gonna spit you out maybe they should have leaned further in and actually had a shadowy connection to Louisiana that like in implying that these scientists were fanatical devotees of the uh, Childress cult that were trying to ascend to immortality through this practice Um, or the other way to do it is yeah, get it out of there because it felt like a half measure. It felt like a lukewarm development that i i kind of wanted to let especially at the finale when some of those felt you know really bolted on uh and i've read a lot of it it did seem to me like Issa wanted to tie this into season one pretty firmly um like it might have been a creative decision from her and i i don't know like again not to my tastes uh time is a flat circle i if if you're gonna reference something cheekily you don't use the most famous thing from it Right. Yeah. If you're going to reference Star Wars, you don't put the Death Star on the screen. Like you don't put a lightsaber in somebody's hand. So tell. to me, <laughs> the time is a flat circle is the lightsaber. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I the, the I, I will say that there is there is one thing that I really think is wild about the finale. And I'm kind of surprised I, I haven't seen it talked about other than the stupid subreddit. But like. How does it sit with you, the proposition that Navarro committing, that like opening her mind to ghosts and committing suicide, which is one, I think, interpretation, I think, deter- interpretation to show mine, leans towards, yeah. mm-hmm. is seen as a good thing, as like, that's a positive. She, you know what? She had a tough life. She was really dealing with the, and, 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 uh, you know what? Some, maybe, maybe just going out and, 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 and freezing yourself to death so you can go and commune with the spirits is, a happy ending it's like obi-wan joining the force how that feels as, wild that, that i don't like that as a as, rational person sure i i understand that um as someone who doesn't tend to have suicidal tendencies i don't get offended by that but boy if i were someone who's never had that personally had those feelings personally or dealt with someone who has committed suicide or or, or has that in in my realm i would be very disappointed yeah yeah i mean like i said i don't think suicide is the worst thing and especially in terms of like intract you know like i kind of believe and i guess euthanasia would be the better way to say like if you have really intractable physical health problems that are causing you pain and your quality of life is so low that you can't enjoy life and have no prospect of enjoying life ever in the future mm-hmm I can I can get it and I, I don't like you know obviously I mean this is what people do suicide. with pets that they love right like yeah yeah and it's uh, a merciful thing in that case you know I'm not gonna say that people who commit suicide are weak or I think you know or whatever but it's just like it's mm-hmm. weird to be like it's okay it's okay if the struggle gets too much 
you can just let go and join the spirit world and go to heaven or what i i don't i don't like that i don't subscribe and i yeah because there's always a potential kind of surprise healthy yeah kind of surprised there wasn't more pushback on in places on that particular storyline but also it's like did, did is it even a real thing um if you it, it feels like a dodge to be because like to me it's like something like that like man where are the hey if you're feeling lost or you're feeling like you want to call uh hear heed the call of the ice call this phone it's it's weird because i feel yeah. like that was the way they treated like julia's suicide but mm-hmm odd to not include it in this one if that's what the show's opinion is but i guess maybe is that giving it away is preserving the plausible <laughs> uh, deniability better than giving people a hope a hot you know is, are those hotlines actually you i mean there's there's a lot of open questions there but i that's the one thing that really didn't set right with me in in the the, the way the season ends yeah i also don't want to tell creators what stories that they can tell you know i like if if that is either's opinion that you know in this scenario these characters believe that suicide is the best option i don't want to tell her she can't make that story I, I will say it might offend a lot of people <laughs> you're, you're running that well, risk. No, no, no. it's like I, I think she's free to make it i encourage creators but like also this is what you know you also say like you i think those storylines deserve criticism too Sure. Um, yeah, you know, can can be highly critical of those storylines. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I will point out, Blair was definitely suspected. You know, you said they didn't suspect any of the women, but Blair, the three fingered woman, uh, oh, I guess eight fingered woman, <laughs> uh, she was suspected pretty early this on. Like true. as soon as people saw her, they I just didn't know how. Her. Nobody was like. And she teamed up with the other women and they right. all went in there and killed a scientist. Right. No one knew how. Right. So it's really and not she, even a, a, an amazing call, but it was like, oh, she yeah. is like season one where we see the lawnmower guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, you're right. I, I even I said last season, like I, there's there's got to be a reason that she brushed past and looked at the camera in that yeah, laundromat. Yeah. And also we ha- already had a, a, a palm print of a suspect that was missing something. It's like, I Yeah. But that's, again, a far cry from saying all of the indigenous women banded together and yeah. exacted revenge on these scientists for killing their sister and polluting the land. Polluting so, their city, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, that's the thing. I, I Ultimately, I didn't, I didn't dislike much about this finale. I think it just didn't mesh with my kind of storytelling. I like the answers yeah. to be there when I look for them. And here it's very much... Uh, I compared it to Christopher Nolan because at the end of Inception, that is an open question. Did the top fall? Did the top not fall? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he still in limbo? Is he not? And I, if we're left with one of those questions, that might be okay. That because that's like the point of it is like the Navarro thing is an open question. Did she? Is she out there somewhere still? Um, yeah. Here it felt like there were a lot of them. So. I just are there are there, yeah. are there just open questions if you won't consider it a supernatural because I kind of was thinking uh, that over when I was doing one of my rewatches it's like am I finding this unsatisfying because I can't just be like Sedna did it because I feel like the tongue is the show saying Sedna did it because if unless you want to start s- putting facts and evidence that are not there this is there the problem, is yeah. no plausible explanation for how that tongue can be there six years later. Now, it mm-hmm. could be 
that the ladies telling the story were hedging the truth to kind of, but I don't know why, because right. it doesn't seem like they, they seemed like they had no fear of prosecution. Uh, it could be that Hank held on to a tongue after he cut it out to send the message for six years for some, but like nothing. The only thing that actually makes sense is Sedna did it. Sedna, like, and especially when you listen to the official podcast about, they're talking about our stories. This is our story. This is the story. We didn't like that story. We subject what, how, what organ do humans use to tell their stories? What is there literally mm-hmm. has been associated since prehistorical times? You, you like despots from prehistoric times would remove people's tongues to silence them. That's how you'd steal their voice. And for Sedna to drop, you know, for like a supernatural entity to both preserve and put that tongue there. You're listening to The World We Deserve. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with more of The World We Deserve. This, Jim, was very hard to bust into, like, topical points. So I'm kind of taking this in sections. Uh, Start off with Navarro and Danvers and kind of like the ice caves uh, situation. Um, Big problem people had, and I think this is a valid point. It seems silly that this... I, this night country is literally underneath Solal Station. Um, and no one mentioned that proximity ever. Like, it's not, it's like a surprise when they're like, oh my God, this is Solal Station. Um, I think they probably should have put something in there to suggest the passage of time or the fact that, you know, Liz and Dan, Liz and, Evangeline or been trapped down there for a long, long time, making uncertain progress. But yeah, typically yeah. you use sunlight to do that. You use a state of the day. Uh, right. Can't really do that in this show. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. If they walked a mile, two miles under ground in those caves, I would like to have known it. Mm-hmm. And we know they don't because they leave um on new year's eve um and they're done by new year's morning so it's like i don't feel like there's a lot of time for just walking through miles and miles of of, and even like let's say you say it's two miles if that tunnel entrance is two miles from salal research station i still think someone would say oh my god that's right next to salal station 
in terms yeah, of like Innis, Alaska distances. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, I still think that the ice cave sets themselves are beautiful. They were really cool. Mm-hmm. I even really liked the whale bones uh, structure as a visual. I wish it was more tied into something other than just kind of like, oh, wow, look at this. Like, it, it almost feels like Russ seeing the spiral in the finale. It's like it just comes and gone, and it doesn't really relate to anything. And that, it's, I guess, Russ's LSD neurons misfiring. But here, it's just, yeah, who who put those ancient whale bones there? Um this ice cave that's only a couple dozen feet below the surface that's also close enough that you can walk through and fall through a thin part of the ice into the ocean uh the geography is is kind of is kind of wildly off it felt like yeah i think i'm with you there uh i i like that the ice caves are caved in on the inside too like the entrance mm-hmm. to this lab it feels like something they did when they built the lab like they got all the equipment in here they built this secret lab and then they caved in the door so that nobody could find it yeah yeah to keep people from from finding it um i also like the kind of like trifecta of jump scares i mean they're not jump scares but they they build the tension like navarro crashing through it's like that was very scary and wild and loud and then you know danvers is giving her hell about you know shut the fuck up and be and then she falls in and that was loud and scary and then when you're covering from that then clark is just there standing in a, in a dark uh, passageway um yeah they did a lot to out. like increase the creepy kind of tension like they did at the dredging station mm-hmm. um so Clark is what eventually kind of focused them, them up from just wandering the ice tunnels to like finding the drill site. That's where they find the star shaped tool, you know. Um, they also find a tunnel going up there that's playing Twist and Shout. I, I guess another valid criticism I see of people that is, is why did Navarro's and Danvers split up? Like they're clearing this ice station that has at least Clark who knows who else in it and they like split up to what cut they don't even talk about it. it's just like they climb up mm-hmm. the ice station next thing you know danvers is one section of the thing uh navarro's in the other they're exploited because of that but it also doesn't really make a difference sure yeah it all comes back together soon enough yeah, yeah she I, like I, she, she gets locked in the door which allows him to knock out navarro but navarro beats the shit out of him and danvers gets out like in 60 seconds so it's like yeah it's almost like, does this episode need to be an hour 20? I uh, was getting to that. Like, this is the first episode that felt a little flabby on second, on, on, on rewatch. Like, stuff like that, where it's just like, it seems like they were trying to prolong. Because, and I, maybe it's because they realized, shit, this episode is just one long confession. Yeah, that that was, uh, that could definitely be a problem. Although, on second yeah. watch, I didn't have that problem. Uh, first watch, it felt a little long. I don't know why second watch, usually that would be hmm. the other way around, but... Yeah, it's interesting. Or maybe I was noticing take- Navarro's state more because she's she. I mean, maybe one reason they split up is she's kind of off the rails here. I mean, she is yeah. out for blood, and I don't know. Maybe she got just out ahead of Danvers. Yeah, I did think it's interesting that people knocked the police work on this show as if that's all ever been the strong point on True Detective. Like everybody thinks about Marty making the connection between the greenhouse paint and like, oh my god, these great True Detectives. I just got done watching season one. There's like three, maybe four places where the investigation just stalls out and Russ gets a lead by beating the shit out of somebody, (laughs) blackmailing somebody, 
kidnapping a police officer onto a boat and threatening to, to, to kill and blackmail him with child porn. Like, this is not po- good police work, okay? <laughs> sure. Entertaining as hell to watch Russ just beat the shit out of somebody with a toolbox and then turn to the other guy and be like, you're next unless you tell me what I want to know right now. But it's of a piece of what Navarro's and Danvers are doing uh, in this episode in this season. Like, they color outside the lines when they get stymied or frustrated or looks like the case is going cold and that feels pretty true detective to me um so yeah like uh, again i you know like they, they we get to the meat of the at least first half of the episode which is the interrogation of clark you know we talked about the whole back to the future uh interrogation technique of uh, the forced uh, unpleasant sounds listening and it's obviously a lot more effective when you're you know playing to the the ex of a person the murder of their girlfriend that they were complicit in mm-hmm. um yeah this is where i i start to have problems when he starts to explain the the actual circumstances around her death uh because I don't think they make a whole lot of sense. Okay, let's talk this through. What? T- tell me about your problems with it. I, I know we have a section on the resolution coming up later. Did you want to save that for there? or Because, I mean, the resolution here to the mystery of, you know, who killed Annie Kay, how these scientists died, I guess the, the, the scientist's death comes later. So I suppose we could talk about the resolution to the mystery of, like, the pollutants here um i don't know why scientists self-respecting reasonable scientists would say go ahead and pollute more because it's the only way that we have to defrost the permafrost i mean we have technologies available to us that i guarantee will defrost permafrost yeah you don't like have find... to do it by dumping chemicals into the water of a town of thousands of people. Yeah, no. I mean, you're definitely right about that. Um, and it's I don't just even know stupid. why. Like, if you, yeah, like, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I could come up with some different things, and but, but yeah, that was this. Like I said, and I said that in the the um, the instant take is this feels like a bad Captain uh, Planet plot. Like you've literally yeah. got evil scientists covering up warming data and turns out the factory is polluting, but they're polluting or I'm sorry, the mine is polluting, but polluting even more because the evil scientists wanted to frost the permafrost so they can get at their, you know, and, and it's made worse by having eight of them. I mean, I could understand one person being corrupted. If it was Lund who was falsifying the numbers uh, that yeah. they he sent to the government and these other scientists had no idea that that was the case. Lund, yeah. a singular person, could be corrupted, I believe. Eight scientists could jump See, in and murder a girl so that they could pollute the groundwater more? I Yeah. That is and, and nonsensical. Is, that is a complete non-starter for me. And this is um this is why I think it would have benefited from like either more cult or more gov or, or more mindfuckery. Like it turns yeah. out the mine recruited eight crackpot geologist research. They were already to, corrupt when they got there. Yeah, that like like the, the mine is looking for like okay, we want to find some insane people to want to uh, defrost the permafrost for some kind of crazy 
uh, paleo organism that's going to create, make our lifespans to like, okay, these are the guys. Uh, let's select for the ones that uh, uh, hate everybody that from their home country and don't ever want to go back. Like, or just be like, yeah, this was an offshoot of the Tuttle clan that they are trying to ascend the godhood through this, you know, technique rather than through the murder of, of women and channeling the infernal planes. Like, but, but you're <laughs> sure, right. Yeah. You're right. I think a lot of people were upset that like these research scientists are kind of portrayed in in this way. Um, and I also said like the other thing is like uh, a lot of people are like, oh, it's all about this. It's all about the straight white uh, scientists at least half of these scientists weren't white. Oh yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I'll also say this, you know, eight dudes living all alone by themselves. I'd, I'd lay money on a couple of them also not being straight, but like, it's weird that that's a criticism that like it's, it's, it's white men versus the indigenous women. When I think it's more of like everyone against indigenous women. Cause that's the whole mm-hmm. point of this thing. It's like, you know, people, um, it's disappointing that no one is grappling with the actual, you know, thing that Issa Lopez is trying to do, which we talked about in the preview podcast. Indigenous women, the United States and Canada are in some places up to six times higher, more likely to be killed or like four and a half times more likely to be abducted uh, um, than their every other counterpart. Like you could stack them up against any other demographic in either country, and those numbers are still shocking. And like, oh yeah, why is that? Why? Well, it's because honestly, it's because people don't care, you know. And yeah, this... and I can buy that it's largely you know the white men with the power uh, who are able to you know make that call and have been overlooking it for ages. But I think Liz Danvers stands as like the testament to everyone has been overlooking this. Yeah. She's she, even though she's got a daughter who's indigenous, she is more concerned with keeping her daughter in a little box that will protect her rather than, you know, addressing the actual thing that's a threat to her safety, which is the mine and the way the town folk view, view the, uh, the villagers. Mm So, um, I also thought it's interesting now that we're talking about it. Like I thought Clark, you know, with his confession, that he loves this girl. Um, the way that he kills, you know, there ends up, he's the one responsible for actually doing the coup d'etat to Annie K. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got that, like the same affect as like uh, the German uh, soldier and saving private Ryan, where it's, he's just like, Oh, uh-huh. shh, just, shh, just stop. Yeah. You know? um, I saw a lot of um, killers of the flower moon in this. Because, you know, Leo, his whole arc is he loves this woman, but he's killing this woman so that Mm -hmm. he can get attain a larger objective, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought that was really interesting that um, there's a lot of the similar energy. Do you think so? I was convinced now after my subsequent watches of the finale that Annie Kay was actually uh in a relationship with clark to get this information she was a spy i think she was infiltrating yeah yeah and now that we know that all of the women were into it uh probably including the woman who's dying people's hair like this all like if if you again i don't think this is actually textual but if you look at what we know that's on the record that like annie k never really showed much interest in the scientists out there till one day she just had a head of steam I want to go out with you when you cut these men hair, these men's hair. And then like her and Clark instantly hit it off. And she, 
It, it seems like oh, yeah. she, the whole reason she did that that summer was to get close to this guy, take advantage of this lonely guy, and get the goods on it. And he mistook that for an actual relationship the whole time. That's that's my read yeah. on it. Okay. Yeah. We're, no, I I agree. Okay. Um. So yeah, she she finds out this uh, in a fit of anger. She or righteous anger. She destroys their ice cores and some of their drilling equipment. Sets them years back. Science is angered. They kill her. Um. Does this? I I also had a hard time lining this up with what we saw of the Annie K video. Oh, I um, I have a lot of problems with the videos they showed us. Lots of problems with the videos. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the issue here? The fact that like she has been triumphantly destroying all their equipment and ice cores, and all of a sudden, and then after all that, she is saying she into the video, "I'm Annie K, and I found a secret thing, and oh my god, something's come." Like she, she had to be making so much noise. It, the only thing that makes sense is she's destroying all this stuff, and she's like, you know, uh, um. And in the midst of it, she hears the hatch start to open. So now it's like uh, someone is actually here. I know someone's heard it. And now I'm trying to like evade detection long enough to get this confession. Slash, and she does I say if a, anybody finds this video. Yeah. So yeah, I think she, just, she knew the jig was up. She was cut off by Lund starting to stab her. And then it wasn't a mm-hmm. power cut. It was Clark stepping on the phone that stopped the recording. Which uh, this guy's got the ball the balls on his feet of granite because i don't know stepping on a phone breaks a phone but whatever uh yeah, yeah it breaks it to the point where it just stops recording instantly yeah no he he smashed that phone yeah it seems like the yeah. likely uh events there um he also adamantly refuses to take responsibility for cutting out the tongue yeah everyone uh, does the- yeah, so, and I believe him because why would he lie? You know? I believe everyone because at this point, why would they lie? Right. And this is just like, yeah, in, in these particular circumstances. Um, so, they, um, Navarro is in sins and she pulls out her gun to kill this guy. Danvers leaves the room and has a sequence of flashbacks of her kid. Turns out, and there's a twist and shout introduced again. Uh, yeah, why out... is Twist and Shout playing here? I'm I don't understand the sequence of events here. Did Clark turn that on? Uh, like earlier when it's... they before they caught him. So this is one of my loose ends. Um, the Twist and oh, Shout, like, okay. and and uh, we can talk about the, it later. The, yeah, I just want to kind of like save all the things, the things I didn't think had satisfying interest or like it wasn't clear to me. Um, okay. So, um. This is also said about this backdrop that when Liz busted out of her containment in the ice core room, she stepped on some broken glass, which triggered her memory of stepping on the glass at the, you know, at the at the car crash, and she's been thinking about Holden. Mm-hmm. Um. So and the, the, then they both flash back when Navarro comes out and can't do it. They reflect on you know the the Wheeler case and they reveal that you know this is you know Navarro is the one that killed him. And the, the twist and shout, he's whistling, and then Navarro's gunshot wakes up a baby. Yeah. It's another thing that's kind of dangling for us to talk about at the end. Yeah, um, what is the point of that? Yeah. Um, so Danvers is cutting a, an orange into a spiral peel. 
This is also right after Navarro talks about her mom and her sister being partial to oranges and peeling them off as one big spiral. Um, I don't think this really goes anywhere, but speaking of hanging threads, uh, Danvers sees the tongue goo beneath the table, goes to investigate, and Navarro interrupts her, kind of jump scares her, she bangs her head, and does it bother you that she didn't mention Navarro about the tongue? Like, you know, they're they're here, these these police women are here talking about the case, getting this confession from this guy. She sees the tongue, she notices it, bothered by it. Navarro's like, are you okay? Why wouldn't she say, you know what? What What's going on with the tongue? What, what, yeah, what do you think is going on with the tongue? the tongue? I don't know. She doesn't have any answers. Uh, she maybe not even, maybe doesn't even know the right questions to ask. So ask the right yeah, questions, she, lady needs answers and the right questions before she, she starts needs, asking. At them. least needs the questions. Yeah, I, I, don't, mm. I don't think she has them yet. She'll connect the dots here later, but so far, nothing. Uh, I will so, point out that she bangs her head here before she starts seeing anything strange happening. So head if, trauma. if you're looking at this entire series, you could say everybody here has head trauma and then they start seeing things. This is true. Team rational for the win. Uh, so round two, the interrogation begins. They want to now know what happened to their buddies. And he says, uh, you mean an Annie killed them. Uh, and he reveals on a night of the disappearance um, I'll say that this is like uh, the episode's really peaking for me here. Uh, mm-hmm. He went, uh, had this premonition that Annie was coming and hit himself in the tunnel and he hears some commotion, director Lund screaming, no, no, please, please. Then things go silent and then something bangs against it and tries to get in and he holds against it. And then he, from his perspective, he's down there for hours, maybe a week. Um, he doesn't have any idea what happened to the men. And I'm I, I, at this point, I, I remember when I was first watching, I'm like, Jesus, are, did a polar bear actually get in here? Like, what what could have possibly happened? Uh, and yeah. I, I'm like, man, they're digging themselves into such a hole. How are they ever going to get out? Um, turns out that they do. Mm-hmm. So he also, this is another one that I think is a bit weak. He went to go talk to Heiss in order to survive her. Yeah, how how did he know Heiss? I mean, where he was? Clearly, clearly he did, right? He knew that Heiss was down here in the caves or out there at the uh, dredger, but we never see any of that. The uh, the only thing I can think of, yeah, I... There, uh, maybe there's a connection here where did they mention that he consulted with the mining company or something? Um, I'm wondering if there was a I way for so. Clark to like, so like, I guess bare minimum Clark could have just done internet research, you know, and found out that some dude almost froze to death out here under these conditions. And he goes to talk to them to try to figure out how, but like at this point, Clark is clearly driven insane by his experience like this. Now oh, yeah. we now know why he was so withdrawn after Annie K's disappearance and why the other men kind of shunned and isolated him. Um, I mean, look at the RV stuff he's doing, right? That camper, that's right. insanity. That is a man that's going insane. So, yeah. um, And, you know, he starts disassociating, talking about Annie being in the caves before she was alive, after she's dead. Like, I think he's confusing Amy or Annie with Sedna at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And he asked Navarro to let him 
kill himself. Uh, then we get a scene where Danvers pulls Navarro's mom's necklace out of her hair. This has to be part of the dream that we see next, right? Oh, you think so? It's weird I'm, because it's, I mean, it's very much framed as like she just laid down. She just put her head on that no, pillow. I know. And then, oh, there's something in my hair. Uh, yeah. It, it's possible it's part of a dream. It's possible it's supernatural, right? Like this cross is there because said to put it there or whoever. Yes, that is way into the super. Like, I'm not so I'm saying the only expl- other explanation other than it being, you know, she was actually asleep before she knew she was asleep was that um, <laughs> she banged her head and she's hallucinating this. Well, yeah, she could. Yeah, she she actually everything that she everything that happens after she hits her head on the tongue, the tongue, the tongue desk. Like Navarro found her collapsed, yeah. said, "Oh my God, what's wrong with you, Liz? I'm going to take you to the bed so that you can recover." And then, yeah, because <laughs> otherwise it says, "Yeah, you have to say that Navarro's mom, who is a ghost, got her necklace off of the thing, or it's a shared delusion that she's having. She's literally having a delusion. Um, it's not clear to me that she knew about the necklace." Yeah, I don't know how she found that out. Yeah. Because it doesn't yeah. seem like Navarro has really talked about her mother at all, based on right. her revealing stuff about the oranges later. And I think they said that... She, did, didn't Julie have a matching one, too? So the one in the car... But no, I don't think so. The way she... I like, don't remember that. Was the necklace in the truck that she threw out into the ice real? I'm starting to suspect I, it wasn't. It's possible it wasn't, yeah. In which case, like, you know, we're even more into the supernatural here with Danvers having it. So mm-hmm. um, I thought that was wild. Uh, but she has a dream about Holden and it seems to be a pleasant one. But then he kind of screams mom and she wakes up finding the power is cut. Uh, the station is freezing and she goes outside. Uh, she follows the trails of open doors. So she sees Navarro just watching frozen Clark's frozen corpse. And this she is killed the- him, right? Mm, I think she let him go outside and he killed himself. He dies with his eyes open on his knees, staring at the ice. she let him go outside, huh? He didn't seem he like begging. a man who wanted to die. Oh, because he, like, the last thing we saw him say to Navarro was either you kill me or let me do it myself. I, th- I think he was exactly uh, ready to die. Why now, though? Why is he ready to die now? Because he's been fighting to survive. He's been running from Annie who's been trying to kill him according to him for weeks that he's been i mean he's gone through a lot i mean he so he got caught he got uh, made to listen to his girlfriend die for an hour uh he the research also, is destroyed but it was destroyed before i and it's like it's it's six destroyed and it's now it's like all the men are dead so it's like really sinking into him that um because he like i don't even know that he knew the men were dead until this episode Really, he had no idea what happened to them. Like he might have suspected that uh, Sedna True. got him, or but you know, like maybe there is some like if I if I can figure this out, and of course he again he's crazy. But if I can figure this out, maybe we can get to the re- and like if, if I can only make this research work, then all this will be worth it. And now that the investigators are here and he's confessing to everything that he's just done, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, there yeah. is a breaking point for people, you know, where it's just too much. Sure. Sure. Um, so, like, th- and this is like I think is peak frustration for me because this sequence of dialogue only exists so that they can have the 
hammer of the confession that Navarro leaves before she walks out into the ice. But Navarro, Mm -hmm. like Danvers comes in and is like, what the fuck did you do? Why did you do this? Why did you let this go? And like Navarro's just sit there and like doesn't respond. She's like, did you even cut the power? No, Liz, I didn't cut the power. Mm -hmm. I also got a confession recorded from this guy that I'm going to leave you later. Yeah. Yeah. I had other, I had other questions that I asked. I'd like to know the answer to and. But it's like I kind of on subsequent watches came around to like, well, Liz has been with this with Danvers before where she just does something in like a catatonic state because she's believing in ghosts and she knows Mm -hmm. there's no sense talking to her when she gets in this state. But like, ah, it's still frustrating as a viewer to watch that. Yeah. Um, Navarro tries the least to get the generator to go she like literally turns it on once or twice it doesn't work i did like uh-huh. the ghostly screaming that it was made when it was starting out that was a nice touch to ambiance yeah and it shows um, either her mother I, I think it's her mother uh behind her kind of near the trucks back there holy in, shit in really of light uh-huh ah. yeah that's why that's when you hear the screaming if you look in the background there's a ghost damn i watched this thing three times i did not see that <laughs> wow um Danvers is I really got the uh, a chuckle out of her fucking with the telecom box like there's this this is obvious like cat five cat six cable punch down to things and she's like opening in to look for the power and I'm like it's not gonna be in there Danvers yeah there's nothing you could do from that box like mm-hmm. uh, maybe she's just checking to be sure everything's hooked up I don't know so some ghostly things start happening obviously Navarro's mom's there in the background Liz's flashlight starts to fail which is a hallmark of supernatural things on this show a hubcap from the DUI rolls down the hall that mm-hmm. clues her into Navarro, you know, being missing and has heard to call the ice. Uh, she kind of follows it till she sees the ghost of Clark. who starts twisting and shouting like he's in a Marilyn Manson video and then de- de- disappears. Um, at this point, Navarro tries to tell Danvers because they're starting to freeze to death about Holden. And she's like, you know, Liz, there's more to this world than what's just here. And that could be a comfort. And Liz is having none of it. Mm-hmm. She says, um, I'll shoot your sick fucking mouth right off your face. If you mention his name again. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. She's doing, go- she's doing a great job. Jodie Foster is amazing in this scene. In my um, any more thoughts on her not being merciful? Because you said that that was something that threw you in the uh, first watch. No, I mean, I guess. I don't know if I look back on it, she doesn't seem inherently not merciful. She seems like she can be pushed too far and then become unmerciful, like with her daughter. You know, she's mm-hmm. tried to steer her daughter in the right direction, you know, in the worst ways possible. But it hasn't worked and finally she's getting in trouble with the law and she is not merciful in that moment and throws her in the slammer. That's the only real like not merciful thing I've seen her do. Yeah. But it came at a moment of great duress. So I think anybody might've been not merciful in those situations. Yeah. And I, I think on subsequent watches it's less her saying I'm not merciful. Go and ask anybody. They'll tell you that Liz, she's one unmerciful person. It's more because she literally says, I'm not merciful. I've got none left. Like mm-hmm. this event this has it. drained the last of her patience and mercy. And she's warning Navarro. Okay. Yeah. You might've thought because we've been friends that you can do this and you can do that and you do that, but that it's done. I'm done with this. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've shown mercy to you when you killed Wheeler and I didn't turn you in, although she was going to do it herself. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've shown a lot of mercy, but now this is a bridge too far. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Danvers gets pissed and leaves Navarro by the fire, but she eventually gets too cold to continue to give her the cold shoulder. So she goes to investigate, finds Navarro missing. Of course, she goes out into the ice where Navarro is out exploring the ghost battlefield. I thought it was really interesting. This is really interesting. Liz has Navarro in her flashlight. And the moment that like Navarro closes her eyes and kind of gives into the ghost world, that's when Navarro in the real world disappears. Hmm. I think that's okay. the show putting its thumb on the side of Team Supernatural a little bit. Um, yeah, it does a lot of that in the show. We'll talk yeah, about that yeah, yeah. a bit. Uh, so she finally closes her eyes her ears start to bleed and the ghosts are wailing louder and louder and she finally closes her eyes and listens to what they're trying to say and it turns out it's just maybe her mom uh, some indigenous woman reaching out with her fingers and if you'll recall those lines that are on their fingers I think are the symbol of Sedna getting her fingers cut off like that's a symbol of her so it could be Sedna herself giving her her birthright her her, uh, Inupiaq name something that mm-hmm. like was stolen from her by her mom walking out to the ice and she's obviously very moved by this yeah uh i'm not really gonna try and pronounce it uh because the i saw the way it's spelled and i saw the way they said it and i don't know how to pronounce that correctly <laughs> but yeah she gets yeah, her name it's it is it's t- I, I try it because it's it's very slippery for me but it's something like sick and not sure uh, and it and it means um, she'll find out later. It means uh, the what the light returning after the long dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, I've got it written in that section of the notes. Um, meanwhile, Danvers is having a ghostly encounter of her own as Navarro disappears. She hears her son cry out for mama, looks down and sees him trapped under the ice. And it's such a convincing experience that she instantly falls to her knees, starts trying to break through the ice. And unfortunately, it's very thin here. She punches right through. And surely would have died had Navarro not snapped out of the ghost realm in in time to save her. Yeah, I actually read um, an interview with Issa Lopez who said she did die there. Her heart stopped beating. Um, Now, we don't see any resuscitation, but we kind of skip a a few minutes here. Um, Yeah, we see she might have actually died. We skip her drag and a lot of people are like oh could you actually survive that like i man i don't know i don't know how far it doesn't seem like they're that far outside of salal station yeah you know i, I, like I think a it's possible field or two and I, and and mm-hmm. honestly with some of the stuff to isa lopez and how she trickily set up some of these situations to get you know like you know oh you you, you don't see indigenous women they're invisible in society that's why you're never going to suspect them as being the killers i kind of think that this is supposed to be taken in conjunction or juxtaposed with these two women who work together to return to the warmth and safety versus the men who are just about the same amount of time away from their clothes and the research station, um, them like uh, being unable to get it together and freezing to death. Or hmm. yeah, another way to look at it be Sedna spares them and mm-hmm. doesn't the others. So I think that's something intentional that they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um Man, this next scene where they they the the, the virus trying to get Jodie Foster warmed up. Uh, Danvers looks real bad. She looks like she's eighty years old and 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 it's six weeks into chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. 
And in this weakened condition, she asks uh, Danver, or I'm sorry, Navarro, to tell her what Holden says. And Holden says, "Your son says she, he sees you, and he can't yeah. believe you keep on sleeping with all the married men in town, Mom. Like, come <laughs> on, what is?" I, and, and and what would you you're we're wiping my sister's chin marks off mm-hmm. uh that is not, not that not good not good mama not good he wants you to do better <laughs> yeah he sees you start flying right uh no i this is and, and then she she weeps right she yeah. collapses into navarro's arms and weeps and and, 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 and and almost in a way that she's like too weak to properly weep like she she's sobbing yeah, yeah. but at a almost at death's door sob which i thought was actually amazing acting oh no it's it's incredible i mean both of them are doing a great job here uh and i feel like this is you know there might be a literal death here where her heart stops beating she stops breathing um and she's resuscitated but there's also a spiritual uh, transformation that happens a death of her old self here because from this point on I think she's willing to consider, you know, the the other possibilities that Navarro has been telling her about this entire time. And before she's always been closed off to that. Um, And and that's kind of what Navarro is getting at, too, with the uh, holding the hatch. Right. The stuff that she tells Liz about. I've been holding the hatch for so long. She's been doing it in the form of like keeping people out of her life. I, I think Liz has been doing that, too, but she's also been keeping any possibility for change uh any possibility for healing out of her life and that all changes yeah. here yeah and that's like you know it goes with the holding the hatch metaphor mm-hmm. um and uh you know like danvers says hey if you want to she kind of like releases her from her obligation of living says if you want to walk out and disappear okay just try to come back which i think the only way you can really interpret that is if you die please do the innocent thing where you come back as a ghost yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's really representative of the change in Liz here because before she would have said you're just gone. You're just yeah. gone. Like yeah. if you can't come back. Uh and and I don't know. I, I look at maybe we can talk about the resolution more, but that's why I don't know that I necessarily hate the ending, the interpretation of the ending where Navarro kills herself mm-hmm. because the show's saying something about that that is mm-hmm. is less than like she's just gone now, you know. Yeah. Um, so Danvers reflect, or I'm sorry, Navarro reflecting on her whole life has been for a long time holding the hatch against something trying to get through from the other side. Uh, that gives Liz a brain blast, like, oh my God, holding the hatch, something to get through the other side. And she goes to the scientist, uh, laboratory, grabs some luminol, splashes it all over the hatch and gets a UV light and finds the three fingered handprint of the woman from the the, the blue king crab meatpacking plant and they mm-hmm. both realize that they've been asking the wrong question they should have asked instead of who killed Annie K who knew who killed Annie K and they race off to confront uh, Blair which I mean she had a part in killing uh, the people who knew yeah makes sense so that brings us to the resolution. They drive out to B in Blair's house. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, now uh, Evangeline is challenged by this woman. To, 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 I guess. No, she's not challenged. She just reveals that she knows her name now, which gives the other woman gives her a new level of respect. Uh, and she tells it's, it means return to the sun after the long darkness. 
and we find out that so here's here is one of the things that makes the tongue harder to explain if these women knew that this was six years ago and they had some kind of long con like maybe they would save the tongue if it was ever I don't know how they got in their possession but maybe they'd save the tongue for their ultimate revenge so they can tie all this together but like I think that everything that she's I think everything that uh, B says here is true it kind of has to be I mean the she's couching it in you know uh, a friend of mine told me a story about this thing right like in in terms that she can't be held legally accountable for but right she's telling the truth I mean the show shows it to us and I don't think they're showing us a false narrative here the story if that's not the actual real story yeah, so for six years they thought it was the mine in the town trying to silence people for speaking out, but then one of the cleaning ladies uh, spills a bucket of mop water that all seeps down and seems like it falls for a really long time. She's able to investigate that, find a starship-shaped tool, then through a informal network of cleaning ladies, uh, there's a cleaning lady that works at the coroner's office to get some uh, records of what the wounds look like so they can compare it. I think that might have been and the police station, actually. It might have been the police station, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like these, uh, they got these uh, these poor indigenous women doing their, their housework during the nights where they're of not supervised and they have free run of the facility and no one would ever suspect them of being capable of something like this. And they were capable of it, turns out. Mm-hmm. Um and I throughout this scene more and more women are showing up in this kitchen and like taking these menacing positions and like it you can see it's starting to make Liz uncomfortable uh but Navarro keeps pushing on and then we get the sequence of like it just shows what happened they cut the power uh all the women swoop in there with guns they order them in into a container truck that gets dumped onto the ice and then they tell them to get naked and then they fire a gun in the air and tell them to get out of there and they say they leave their clothes in a pile so that if Sedna judges them, uh, they could get their clothes back and get back to warmth. Um, but I I don't know that I believe them. I think that this was intentionally a death sentence and maybe the clothes oh, obviously. was... Was was yeah, something that they could say. It's 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 the, it's the same reason like a guy in a firing squad's got a like one of them's got a blank. So there's plausible sure. deniability that oh I yeah, wasn't I the fired one the blank I, yeah yeah I was the one in the blank I didn't I didn't, I got no blood on my hands um, but that's, no this is and, the story that they're telling the, the yeah. Sedna part of this like we offered them up uh, to Sedna and she chose to take them yeah that's that's the real yeah. story here yeah and then like uh, the men brought that I we didn't kill the men brought them themselves that they they uh, dug into her home in the ice they killed her daughter there they pumped it full of poison and they woke her up and they reaped the whirlwind. Yeah, I mean, you have to read all this as like the she that they're talking about here is sort of the inability of people to suffer forever, right? Um, And in particular, these women to suffer forever. They will at some point awaken and seek vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like there's also this undercurrent of like, why are we holding up these women murdering this men as some kind of like justice i don't think it's justice it's not any kind of justice that i would call agree with or call it it's just like what happens when people are frustrated by injustice that they'll eventually go vigilante style vigilante justice isn't justice Mm -hmm. but it's also something you'll take on a discount if it's the only thing you can get you know i think you're confusing justice with just ice which ah, they have plenty of. Yeah. They got these men got served just ice. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. It's a co common mistranslation of the Nupiak. <laughs> right. No, um, I'm, I'm kidding. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I don't view this as justice either, but you understand why it would happen. Absolutely. And a jury might yeah. not even convict, you know? And that's where Danvers is at by the end of this conversation. She's like, well, turns out we got the forensics and we drove by to tell you because they're your bosses. But it turns out, yeah, slab avalanche. Case closed. I like that. That's that's a really nice turnabout on the stupid slab av avalanche uh, thing, right? It, it is obviously extremely... false. And then she adopts it as a way to plausibly let these people off the hook for the crimes they committed. I found that as much as people bitched about the, the some of the ma the micro of the writing, I thought the macro was very satisfying that they took this mind's attempts to bury and conceal and use, you know, the official thing to keep 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 people on a runaround and to give obvious bullet. They use that to let these women off for yeah. murder. That's very clever. I like it. Yeah. And you know, you guys like as far as the justice of it, it's like I I mean, I don't know how you you uh how you weigh the murder of seven and eight men against the deaths of nine newborns that were pretty directly killed by this mine in a three month stretch. Like and countless others. It's, I mean, it's, and it's con and the thing is, is like if let's 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 play this out. If the women did go to the the police mm -hmm. and the police did take it serious, which they wouldn't and the mine didn't interfere, which they would. And the court systems weren't corrupt and bought out, which they probably are. Uh, and they would get to some the 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 justice that they would get would be civil. They would probably get money, and the company have to clean up stuff. But like, no one is going to be held responsible for murder. Well, I'm I'm, I'm not one to any K. I'm talking about the new the yeah. stillbirths. Uh -huh, no the one's company. going to get prosecuted yeah. for murder. No one's going to get a prosecution for like harming unborn children. It's going to be some yeah, kind of even civil though they suit. knew about it, e even yeah. though they knew, yeah, they they were intentionally polluting more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get like negligence and like there might be some criminal, but like these guys are. Yeah. So I, I think that's like when you're talking about the weighing the different types of justice, it's, it's tricky. You know what these women had available versus what they got. Um, the other interesting thing is the women and I take them at their word. They completely deny having anything to do with cutting Annie's tongue out. And, and why would they deny it unless it were true at this point they've been telling truths for the last 10 minutes here why yeah. lie now yeah i did it's it's weird that the woman that plays b who is telling this story she has this kind of smirking smug affect throughout the whole thing because obviously the undercurrent of this is regardless of whether danvers or navarro what they think about like i don't think these women are walking out of here like these women are not going to go to jail. These They're women not getting are going arrested. To be arrested. No. They're like I there might be two more people on the ice mm -hmm. uh, on New Year's Day, but that that's very clearly what they're telling us here. Um so like and so the yeah, smirk why? is kind of warranted the entire time. But but there is still like at least a half smirk when she's saying, "Well, this isn't our story." Um I I don't know. I I, I there's a little bit of that where I, I like I, I want to believe that she's true, but like there is a little bit of that in her performance that bleeds over that makes me think that maybe she is like telling Navarro like don't be stupid. Uh, but I don't know, like why would they cut it's her tongue out? Hard to tell. Yeah. So so 
I don't think they cut her tongue out here. Maybe we should just talk about the tongue in general. But I think the the events. No, let's that save happened, it. Let's save it. Let's save it, or you'll gut my final segment. I'll cut <laughs> its tongue. You'll rip out, the yeah. tongue. You'll rip the tongue out of my final segment, Jim. Okay. All right, but yeah, big big questions on a tongue. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the. Let's get to the aftermath. So the aftermath is this is very true detective season one. Uh, Liz is being asked questions by outside investigators with a little camcorder recording the investigation and she's got straightforward answers you know why did you check out Heiss he was in connecting with the murder Um, uh, Hank followed me and there's footage of him doing that we speculate that there was some kind of uh, dirty deal that went wrong and Hank had to kill him because we recovered the body in his patrol car and then it was the middle of the blizzard and, you know, he must have tried to walk off to get help and, you know, fr- and we'll probably find him in the summer unless we don't. And, oh, oh here's Pete. Here's, here's uh, Hank's boy Pete. He stayed up that whole night looking for us out in that dead blizzard and it's a terrible tragedy. And it appears to be case closed. That's what happened to Navarro. Um... Let's let's talk about the first part, though. Um, the only wild part of this statement is like there seems to be a little bit of step one. Take Heiss out of Lighthouse because he's wanted as a material witness to this investigation. Question mark, question mark, question mark. We got separated. Hank kidnapped him. Profit. She says after we got separated, Hank must yeah. have gone in there and got. Well, why did you get separated? Why did you take him? You know, if you took him to your house, what, what, what? It feels like no one was asking the right questions there, but maybe that's the point. Yeah. Why not take, why did you not take him back to the lighthouse or keep yeah. an eye on him? He, what does separated mean in the context of this New Year's Eve and in, in, in clandestine investigation you're doing? I don't, I don't know. I yeah. felt like there's a little bit of a thread there you could pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked what happened to Navarro. And she kind of makes some non-committal answers about, you know, some people come to Alaska to escape. Uh, some people come here to find things. And it's set against a backdrop of Liz finding a polar bear and a cell phone that has uh, Clark's filmed confession, it turns out. And also finds Kovic um, finding his toothbrush left out in front of his bar. And he looks out concerned. And it shows Navarro walking out on the ice. Um, fully clothed, it must be said. And um, they also played this interview with Raymond Clark where he talks about the truth and the sorry part he played in this and the irreparable damage to human and animal population. As he says that last word, it shows the hunter that we began the season with hunting the caribou now outside the mine that's closed. Um, I want to stop and talk about that there too. Um, This video gets leaked of a research scientist where all the rest of men disappeared in shadowy circumstances and it's filmed by no one knows who and he's beat the hell and he's in a frozen decommissioned like i well how does this play when it hits the media like the fact that this guy has been battered looks like he's been like tortured into a confession which he kind of was oh yeah yeah absolutely uh i mean it probably it, it piques people's interest, I'm sure, because it's just an insane thing yeah. to see. 
And then there's an investigation that can be done. So this is why I don't have a problem with it, because there is hard evidence here. There's there there. Yeah, it's like, OK, yeah. well, maybe it's suspicious. But if we go and follow that up and we don't know who leaked it, we don't know who took it. It's just like something that we got to follow up on. Oh, shit. Look at this. And Hank's there's... not there to clean anything up. So this isn't going away. This isn't getting buried again. Uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they sent scientists down there to confirm, oh, yeah, no, actually, the pollution levels were way higher than they should have been, and the scientists were in on it, yeah. That all works. Yep, and uh, we get to see Liz and Leah happy and laughing together, and Leah now has uh, her uh, tribal markings on her chin that signify her being a woman, mm-hmm. and uh, it's Liz's opinion she's not going to find her out there in the ice. And the men asked her reports of sightings of her. Do you think it's true that she's still alive? And she goes, well, this is in us. Nobody ever really leaves. That was a particularly good song to end the episode on. I really liked the kind of like uh, hopeful, uplifting music as, as Navarro steps onto her deck. Navarro, she dead. Yes. But when no. she walked onto the ice, why wasn't she naked? Uh, be- I mean, why wasn't her mother naked when she died why was how do you know her mother like, wasn't naked when she died well i think we see her die right i don't well no maybe we, not we die. see her we see point her. at something and be afraid but yeah that was i don't know why i was assuming she died there hmm. uh i i don't know why she's not naked i don't maybe the actress just didn't want to get naked i'm totally fine with that uh she got naked crawling on top of kavik a couple times oh that's true she did uh I don't think it matters. I think the show in many other ways is saying she's dead. Um, you can point at that and say, oh, it doesn't look like Julia when she did it. Well, uh, yeah, but maybe she just did it different. Well, Julia did it as like a person desperately holding onto the hatch. Eve was walking through it willingly. What do you make about Danvers' opinion that you're not going to find her out there on the ice? That's the one thing I mean, that I think you could hang your hat on for her still being alive because that's a confident uh, statement to make if you know she killed herself or if you think it's highly likely because you found her, her sister right away. Uh, it's even mm-hmm. money whether they'll find Hank or not, but like, I guess they'd have some explaining to do Hank's got his, his, his head blown off. But Well, to me, it's indicative of Liz's changed belief state. Um, uh-huh. She believes that she's not on the ice like she navarro is not on the ice she her her body might be but she is in this other place with her mother and with holden and with her sister uh i think she believes that there's more out there now and that death is not the end and this is where i get to the idea that maybe the show is not saying suicide is an amazing thing because they don't believe she's dead. She's like Annie Kay. She's always been there. She'll be there after we all leave this realm. Uh, she's not gone. She's just changed state. And she's visiting Liz, right? Like, I... I, I, I Obviously, I still don't like that message to suicidal people, but I mean, you could probably sure because I don't believe thing. that that's true in the real world. Yeah, yeah, but I guess like and and it's I guess it'd be different like because I, I I'm like well why I guess why don't Christians get more flack for believing in heaven you know but I guess part of the Christian ethos is suicide doesn't get you to heaven right like that's a that's a mortal sin so like you can't that's well, not like it, it's something that the Christian faith doesn't truck with. Uh, 
Because, yeah, you could say the same thing about, well, if things get too tough, just off yourself. You be in, you wake up in heaven. But that's not how it works. Um, well, well, think about know, it from like the this... perspective of people who've had loved ones who've committed suicide. Mm -hmm. This could be a very comforting thing for them, right? Your loved one is not gone. They're there with you. It's just like yes. the idea of heaven. It is a comforting, I guess it's a comforting thing to say for people whose loved ones have committed suicide, but it's something scary for people who have loved ones who are actively suicidal because... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, it's, again, it's not it, great in all cases. It's not good in, or it's not terrible in all cases, so... Yeah, it's just weird that, like, I, again, I saw a suicide hotline notice in an episode yeah. dealt about suicide. It's weird that if the show's perspective is that Evangeline killed herself, which I think it is then it's a weird statement to be like i don't know like this this is an okay suicide or maybe it's not even suicide because she's not really gone because she's a ghost ah uh, that's kind of what i'm getting at but okay yeah. here's some more evidence for she killed herself um so she leaves the bear for liz to find which is representative of the afterlife right holden is dead we are 100 percent sure that he was killed mm -hmm. so that represents Holden, which represents this afterlife. Yeah, uh, That's the only thing she leaves for Liz. How would Liz find her? How would Liz know where she is? She's just gone. Like Liz comes searching for Navarro. She's gone. And the only evidence that she ever existed is this bear. Doesn't leave a note to find her at her cabin on the lake. She doesn't say, I'll be, I'll return here as a real live person in two weeks so we can hang out at your cabin. She's just gone. Liz wouldn't know where to find her. And what purpose does it serve to walk out into the wilderness, clothed or not clothed? What is that? Just her. Like the imagery of answering the call has been portrayed like this every single time in this show. And yeah. everyone who answers the call is dying. So yeah. even the going from left, it's like always portrayed as a left to right walk too. And not for nothing, when she shows up at the end and Liz is what you're calling her late Gavin. Uh, she's wearing the exact same clothes that she walked out onto the ice with and disappeared. Yeah. No, I think it's pretty obvious that she killed herself at the end of this. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but uh, like I said, we leave Liz in a happier place. She's more calm. She's more centered. She's more at ease with the job she's doing. Um, I do wonder what kind of political unrest there's going to be. Uh, if the mind shuts down, like I feel like 90% of the white folks go home and it's just going to be uh, mostly natives and, the pe and people like Rose who have essentially, they like it up there. They like the isolation. They like the spirituality mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, and don't rely on the mine for their livelihood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she says, you know, the town existed before the mine. It'll mm -hmm. exist after, so. Watch out for the polar bear. We'll be right back. Time to continue our investigation back to the world we deserve. Uh, let's talk about Pete, who we have talked oh around boy. so far. So Pete, uh, Pete, uh, the, you know, he was left to deal with the aftermath of the uh, amazing finale of last episode. And he's down to his boxer briefs. He starts cleaning, loading bodies, taking a shower. He's just finishing up when he notices, I think, a tooth embedded in the wall that got shot yeah, out of his dad's soul that was fucking crazy <laughs> and he starts working on that when leah comes home 
Jeez, Liz, might have want to mentioned to the guy cleaning up the double homicide that you invited your daughter over for dinner on New Year's Eve. Slipped your yeah, mind you pointed there, this Liz. Out last episode, and we thought it was going to be a bigger deal, but he covers mm-hmm. pretty well. I, I do like how he covers. He says, yeah, this, uh, I'm acting weird, totally, but it's because of mm-hmm. Kayla. Oh, this, this got me yeah. really shook. And man, what if she'd come home an hour before? Imagine that he's like, you know, sitting there covered head to toe in blood and tidy whities and he answers the door and at her her mom's house, by the way. Mm -hmm. Or if she got there and uh, he was still in the shower, there'd been a lot of questions. Or there's a body rolled up. There's blood all over the floor. There's a body in a carpet. And she's sure she's like, did you kill my mom? What? Yeah. Yeah. So he she he covers for himself and Liz, saying that Liz is doing some official work and that, hey, you know, I'd hate for Kayla and Darwin to be alone on New Year's Eve, so let me drive you home. And she's suspicious, but obviously she acquiesces. Um, when he drops her off, no sooner does she get in the door than Kayla comes barreling out uh, to blow Pete up and get him to admit what the hell's going on. And he uh, cuts her off short, says, yep, there's some weird shit that I did and I'm involved in, but I'm fixing it. I need your help. Just just leave me alone and let me do this one thing and then I'll be back with you. And she kisses him. Mm-hmm. I still Which think my interpretation I from like. the instant take is pretty right on that all she wanted is for him to stop being a follower. Like, it's not that he had to go back to being the innocent teenage puppy dog that he was. She wanted him to grow up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him just kind of like passively following uh danvers doing whatever he she wanted on and and ignoring his family was not something that she was interested continuing so it seems like she's happy that he is showing some passion and some drive and some backbone yeah making his own decisions yeah and it helps Uh, by the end that liz is going to have a complete change of heart and be such a better nicer person (laughs) she'll probably be a lot easier to work with um, I really like the imagery around Pete driving what is effectively his dad's hearse. You know, like this is a menacing black SUV uh, as he's driving on the outskirts of town to bury his body. You see the lights sequentially shut off as the power fails. It's such a great shot mm-hmm. and a series of really great stark Arctic nighttime photography. Um, and it's also one of those, they remind me of, um, you know, like Marty is wheeling Rust out the hospital and he looks up, it's like, yeah, hey, it looks like the dark's winning. Like th- at this point, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it seems like the dark is winning, right? Yeah. Um. So he pulls up at Rose's house. She's field stripping and cleaning her rifle on New Year's Eve because fancy dinner night is Christmas Eve. Cleaning your gun night is New Year's Eve. Everyone knows this. And uh, Pete pounds on her door and he says, take me to where Julie is at. I got someone going to the same place. And Rose is the one funny part in this whole fucking show this whole this whole episode is her just deadpan it's gonna be one of those nights huh mm-hmm. um there's a point in here where leah calls danvers because she's worried um because pete's acting weird and she's missing in the blizzard and she asks her not to die showing that there is some hope there there is some love to be rekindled um and i really like the chopping through ice juxtaposed like to, to to put his father's body in there juxtaposed on his father chopping the ice to preserve his son's very li- alive body that was nice just is it the irony of it that you like is it because i'm a little confused by it because boy they're in very different places when they're doing it um with very different goals 
I oh, didn't yeah. quite understand that. I, I guess I liked it because I saw it immediately, like I even said that last episode, it's like it's very funny that Pete is uh, or not funny. It's ironic that Pete is taking his dad out. OK, at the same okay. age that he was when his father was saving him as a boy. Yeah, it's like there is some kind of really inverted life, death, savior, you know, executioner kind of thing they're going on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she takes him to where Rose is buried. I'm sorry, Julie's buried. And uh, he wants to, to not look away, but she's like, no, nope, this is gross. I want to cut up your dad's lungs. And uh, but then she insists on making him close the door, slide the finish what he started, slide the body in there. And uh, it's grim as Hank's body sinks to the Arctic Ocean floor. Yeah, I know and... here um, that the blizzard has stopped. Mm-hmm. There's no more snow, no more howling wind. Um, it's probably not as cold. And at the same time, when we cut back over to Danvers and Navarro, they say that we get this, the note that it's January 1st now. It's the 15th day of night. And they see the Northern Lights. So... Mm-hmm. You know, with the new year being sort of representative of hope and and change, new chapters, that kind of thing, you can see both from Pete's perspective and from their perspective. At this point, they are they are experiencing that, they're feeling that, and the world is reflecting it. I mean, those northern lights come out of the darkness, and like you said, the light maybe starts pushing back against the darkness. Right. Um, and he. Uh... She also says that, you know, you're thinking the worst part's done, but what comes after it forever, that's the worst part. And, but it's a uh, new chapter, at least, right? Because he seemed pretty miserable for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what she's saying, like the, the weight that you have to carry versus like the immediacy of the act. Like, I, I understand that. But I think Pete's going to be OK yeah. because Hank kind of shitty dad uh, uh, and also criminal and uh, single-handedly propping up the mine in this town. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he's a better husband, a better father. He's got the love of a good woman, uh, can raise this son, and uh, be okay. Because I also really like that phrase that Danvers says, where Navarro's like, Jesus, we fucked this kid up for life. And she's like, I don't know. It's crazy what people sur- uh, survive. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, like both mental, emotional, physical trauma. It's it is crazy how strong we are and resilient, and yet also how fragile we are. Like a temperature temperature change of a hundred degrees, either way will kill us. Uh, drop of thirty feet, uh, pressure change of like ten psi. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, look at look at look. But you can kill your own father in cold blood and throw him into the ocean, and 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 still still keep living. Yeah, emotionally uh, and spiritually, we're pretty resilient creatures. Uh, so, I, it maybe what Rose meant the hair when she says the worst fucking part is what comes next. Maybe she just meant Hank is just going to be a terrible ghost, just so annoying. <laughs> like Hank's going to come back, he's going to be rummaging through your shit. Oh yeah, he rummaged through my shit in life, huh? Steal uh-huh. stuff from me. I'm going to take your fountain pen. Now what are you going to do? He's always going to be strumming depressing songs in the corner, dark corner of your house, (laughs) all hours of the night. Uh huh. Wanting to know where Tatiana is. Where's Tatiana? Where's Tatiana? Every week he comes to you. I need money for my bride, man. Just give Uh me, give me some cash. She's coming in this week. Her mom's sick. I need a new. I need another teddy bear. Oh yeah. Uh, we got some loose ends to talk about, Jim. We sure do. Let's let's talk about these loose ends. Um, first up, 
the trailer. Oh, I think that's a loose end. Well, in retrospect, did the trailer go a little too hard for what the story required? I mean, that's another one where it's like, that's really begging season one, true detective, Tuttle, cult stuff. And it it's not. It's not at all. So I I agree in that. Yeah, the, it. It felt very Carcosan to me and yes. ultimately turned out to just be a man who was distraught over his dead lover, his dead girlfriend, who was really just using him. The entire time. Uh, it makes me wonder. This guy is so far gone and damaged. It makes me wonder how the hell he could have contributed to world class research for right? another six years. Like it was six months, but six years he was doing this. Yeah, that's that's uh, dubious. They were probably propping him up. What's about the tongue? You seem like I have a lot to say about the tongue. That's the big one, right? So here's the thing. I don't think that Clark is lying about the tongue uh, that he didn't cut it out. And I don't think these women are lying about the tongue either, but there's a possibility there that they are. And so if I'm trying to construct, and that's that possibility is based entirely on the performance of the actor in that scene. Mm -hmm. There is no dot to connect. And I really wish if they wanted to, they wanted an audience. And this is what I get to kind of in the beginning of this podcast when I was talking about I don't like when you can't connect the dots, when the evidence isn't there. Um, The timeline as I see it, based on some stuff that Issa Lopez has suggested herself and said in interviews and what we see kind of on screen and an interpretation of that acting, is that Hank, Clark says that Hank showed up to take the body. Mm -hmm. Clark didn't cut the tongue out. So presumably the tongue was there when Hank showed up. Tongue Hank. Hank takes the body, cuts the tongue out, and lays it next to her body as a message from the mine. Like, this is what happens when you fuck with the mine. Yeah. Uh, try, try it again and see what happens. And then the women see this, and they e- either... So, maybe Hank didn't cut the tongue out. If Either way, there's a tongue on the, on the site, and either the women cut it out of Annie in order to preserve her voice or something, um, or they pick it up off the ground and preserve it literally in a freezer. And then they bring it back as as a way to either link the murders so that the cops will investigate and maybe find out what happened or just as their own sign, right? Their own way to say, oh yeah, this is the return of Annie, you fuckers. So they were lying about the six year not knowing. Yes. They would have to be. Well, the other thing is like when they found Annie's body, they wouldn't have to be if they're just doing it to honor Annie. That's that's a thing. They could be doing it as a way to say we are keeping Annie's voice alive. Well, but how would they get the tongue? It was there with the body when they found her. Like they're the ones who found her in in their community. And this is all speculation. Let me point out, none of this is on the page. None of it. Because didn't we find um, Julie's, or not Julie, Annie's cell phone in Clark's trailer? Yeah. Because I I was thinking, is it possible that the women, like after they they put this together in the last month or two, or in the last couple months, 
and they plan to do it on the night of a long night of some kind of ritual thing. Is it is it not possible that they, in their investigation, found maybe even knew about the trailer and broke into it and did all that weird graffiti spiral totem type stuff themselves as a I way mean, to kind of prepare? Possible, yeah. And then then they got the uh, but the tongue. I I can't square like if they, so they were they had to be lying about not no so. They had to be lying about not knowing about it for six years. Well, so they just keep the tongue no. for just in case they ever. Well, not in case it's to honor Andy. And look, none of this is stuff that I believe. I think. Yeah. I, I think it's. I think that was a story poorly told, and they should not have lied in that last scene. They should have said we kept it as a token of her voice or something, as a uh-huh. as a way to remember her voice. Mm-hmm. Keep it alive. It in, that would have solved we... so much of it. Or or. In this flashback where we're seeing them raid the freaking research station, just have one show an insert shot of one of them putting the tongue under there. Why would they put it under the debt? That's the other thing. It's like, why yeah. put it under the table? Right. It almost feels like, oops, it fell out of my pocket. We brought it here to, yeah, to do something make more important with would, it. Yeah, you would you would slap it down on the sandwich or something. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know why under the table. So it just reminds me of like uh, one of my favorite little memes is um, this little stick figure drawing of a of a of a little girl doing a gymnastic routine at the top where she just does a she just steps up she does a somersault and then stands up and it's like uh, Santa believer logic and it's like Santa is a magical elf who loves all the world's children he brings presents to everyone at Christmas Eve therefore Santa is real. And it shows below Santa denier logic, and it has that same girl like swinging through a uh, jungle gym, and she's doing all these like 360 volts off of a pommel horse, and she's swinging through the parallel bars and like doing all this effort. And it's like, well, you see, there's this worldwide conspiracy to create Santa Claus. Then all the parents buy the, and then they love, and it seems like like. The, the the joke is that like the obvious explanation is yeah. the true one, which is Santa just sees magic and he delivers presents. Like it's easy. Like if you want to debunk that, you have to go through this ridiculous train of logic. The the equivalent of a little girl doing a somersault and standing up is Sedna did it. Sure. Like yeah. just just listening to all of the caveats and like well and to send a message and the sixth year and then they, they shouldn't like it just seems like it's impossible to just say it did not come away with like said because no one yeah. other theory makes any lick of sense like Hank couldn't have that, done it. Well, he could have cut it out, but why would he have kept yeah. it? Why would he? Well, have he kept couldn't that? have placed it there because uh, the delivery guy who finds the who turns up at the research station is the one who finds the tongue. For the cops ever get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says that. No, he looks at it. He bends down under the cabinet and looks at it. And there's a there's a shot with the tongue in his face. You're right. So even though Hank got there first, because I was uh, hanging on the fact that Hank is conspicuously the one that got there first. But you're right. He would have. Yeah, yeah. It's got Sedna. Sedna did it. That's it. I mean, I think that's what the show could very easily claim. You know, I it's, so it's not part of their story. They can they can actually say it's not part of our story. We didn't do it, but right. Sedna did, you know. Right. Um, and then the other loose end is why twist and shout? Yes. So and and why the baby crying? Like I, I, I kept on finding like mm-hmm. it, it seems like that is designed to make us think that either Holden or 
Leah is that baby that then Liz adopts because she feels guilty about it. Um, but yet the timeline doesn't even remotely like, I don't think that that ref- that that is like Navarro 15 years ago. Like I think Navarro would be a teenager 15 years ago, right? Sure. Which would apply to Leah. Um, I guess 16, she's 17. Leah's 17. Holden at that point was already dead. So yeah. Yeah. So like I don't I don't think any like baby like I I'm not sure what the hell they were trying to say with that baby crying that makes any I kind don't of know sense. Either. And then like so like why the twist and shout? Why did the serial killer why did he not the serial killer? Why did the the woman the guy who you know the drunk that beat his wife to death? Why did he whistle twist and shout creepily at Jodie Foster? Mm-hmm. Um, why did Jodie Foster and her son have this twist and shout bond? I don't know. The kid just loved twist and shout is all I can think of. He loved the song. They loved to listen to it on, together. Then it was playing on the, like I thought I kept on waiting for him to establish that that's what was playing when she went up to the car wreck. Yeah. They never really do. Um, they the only time it's established with them and Holden with with Liz and Holden is when it's playing on the radio like the boombox as they're laying mm. on the floor just kind of yeah. playing. It's just such an odd thing to fixate on and be tra- traumatized by. Like I can think of like a, a, a hundred times where me and my son have been lounging around listening to music or something. Like why would that stick in and and why would it be why why. <sighs> The, the connection with the baby, it's like that would make sense. Like if that was Holden and that's how she got Holden or that's how she got Leah. Like, mm-hmm. but even then it's like, what? it's a weird thing to be traumatized by. Um, yeah, yeah. And why, why would Leah say to Liz, if, if it's Leah, why would Leah say to Liz, Jake would, you don't have to do this. Jake would understand, right? You don't have to be my mom. Mm. Like Jake doesn't have anything to do with that child. Right. Right. So, yeah, that doesn't make any sense either. I don't know. And then the other weird thing to me is why is it playing the second time in the station? Like, did Clark mm. turn that on? Did Clark run, sprint because away, pulled, shut the did... fake door behind him, climb up the hatch, and then immediately uh-huh. turn on Twist and shout? My thought is, like, something about the power being cut. Because they, the women did cut the power, and then the power is later restored when they're done running up, running the men out, I guess. Something about that yeah, but, process but after, the but after that player. happened, Liz turned it off, right? Because that was after. It, I think she pulled it out of the wall, right? Well, the first time, like when she comes to the station to investigate after the women have killed the men and the power has been restored, so she shuts it off. Yeah, she shuts it off. So yeah. unless there was another power outage that we didn't see and it restarted, but even then, like, like why would it have started at that same spot glitching again? Did like did Clark started? Maybe it yeah, scratched it, it, and it gets stuck there, so it played through the whole thing. I don't, yeah, but, I felt like that was another one that that's why I called a loose end. It just doesn't quite make a connection. There's something there, and I, I was working like I, I I'm like yeah. What what is the thing going to be that ties all these things together? What's going to be that twists it and makes me shout? Aha, Eureka! Uh, never came. I think the cross in her hair is another. Um, she didn't even know about this cross. You almost you almost have to go to Supernatural at that point, unless you want to say, well, Navarro must have told her about the cross at some point. Again, you're but making end, up, that's you're you're yeah. writing the story for the author. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. They got to write it for you. Uh, yeah. The, the the last thing I wanted to mention, and the thing that I think is just ridiculous, is the ham sandwich video. This ham sandwich video should have caught 
every single thing that happened. It should have had those women running in, murdering all, like grabbing up all the scientists, getting them into the truck. They should have known exactly who because it's on this video. We always thought there was some EMP, like there must have been right. some natural occurrence here that slammed all those videos shut. No. And they show an explanation for why Clark, when he for why Annie's yeah, phone wasn't running. They don't it. show one for this ham sandwich scientist. That's a complete... I've heard people say, oh, well, his phone battery was low. And it happens to die at the exact moment that the power goes out. Like, exactly yeah. to the second. Because the power goes out and these women immediately rush in. There is no gap. He's still standing there at the table. He was at 1%. He had just gotten the thing plugged in to start his sandwich video. Then the power gut cuts and the phone dies. The, no, the phone's I, not plugged in. Sorry to tell you, the phone's not plugged yeah, in. I went back and no, I watched it, episode one. Okay, yeah, I, I don't. So, so I, this I man either started a started recording a video at less than one percent battery, and it just happened to turn off at the exact time, or they fucked up and and they just or they knew they fucked up and were like, well, we just can't show the rest of this video. It's going to be a loose end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that's what it is. It's like they they wrote this in as like, you know, maybe it was supposed to be a camcorder or something. And then they decided, oh, it'll just be a so I, I, I don't know, because you're right. If uh, if you know, we were under the impression that it must be some kind of astrological event, some astronomical right. atmospheric is what I'm trying to go. That mm-hmm. did something that created some kind of pulse, their that ruptured their buns and all. Because that's the other thing is like all like all the men of the bl- like. The men with the the you could say that a lot of that is probably self induced trauma. Like if they were scared or in a terrified stuff, or they're doing some paradoxical kind of freezing behaviors, that they're gouging out their own eyes. They're doing they're they're biting themselves, scratching themselves. I don't know how they all rupture their eardrums. A slab avalanche. Like they, the doctors always say, don't put anything smaller than your el- elbows in your in your. Uh, ears because some people apparently some people get crazy the q-tips and rupture their eardrums can you literally get to your eardrums with your pinky like i don't think that's possible i i'll admit i put my pinky in my ear when i'm cleaning it out i it's smaller than your elbow jim it doesn't get all the way in there i know i would think so i would but also i haven't really tried to in like a sedna induced state jam it to where (laughs) i could (laughs) right maybe i could if i really tried but I don't know those little camera, those little those little light holes that the doctors use to look in their ears. They're really tiny, teeny tiny. I don't know, like like Q-tip shaft size. My fi- my my pinkies well, are careful. not Q-tip shaft size. Yeah, and the other thing was like, oh, maybe he picked it up and turned it off. Nope, it's still sitting there, leaned against that peanut butter or whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. So, yeah, it's just a loose end. Uh, that's the thing, you know. The storytelling isn't perfect here, but I do think they get the big strokes right. And it has a definite message that I can get behind. It's just a matter of like how much you're going to let the little things and the distracting things like the mentions of season one, how much you're going to let that disrupt your enjoyment. Yeah. For some people all the way for me, not all the way. Well, let's see what people have to say. Shall we in our feedback section? All right, it's time for feedback. Uh, True Detective of BaldMove.com. I imagine we'll have a wrap-up podcast, but it's a lot like, you know, like I, said, like I said of Fargo, it just depends on what kind of feedback we get. I feel like we 
did deal with a lot of uh, frequently asked questions and comments and opinions on this particular feedback. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job of it, but you know, if there's more shit that comes to light, if uh, Lopez does a, a, a media tour where she answers some more questions, or if uh, people think that we were unfair about something or overly fair about something, then true detective of baldmove.com. Also, if this is where you get off with Bald Move, uh, please follow us on social medias at Bald Move so you can keep up with what we're doing next. Uh, highlights are in the, uh, coming up next week uh, or in, in the next few weeks. We'll be starting our coverage of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live, the Rick and Michonne spinoff, which we've been excited about for a while. Also starting the Shogun series, miniseries based on the award-winning novel, best-selling novel and uh, well-regarded miniseries. And then uh, also we got Dune Part 2. That's next week, isn't it? Pretty, 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 so. pretty loaded schedule. Uh, so follow us on uh, on uh, social medias if you want to follow in uh, on all those. And also, yeah, support.baldmove.com. If you like what we do, you want more of it, uh, Jim and I are going to have an off-the-clock premium podcast where we talk about Blue-Eyed Samurai and is it Constellation? Mm-hmm. Is that the new uh, Apple TV Plus sci-fi show? Uh, if you like that kind of thing, you get a lot more of it by being a club member and ad free feed support.baldmove.com. Don't be afraid of the dark. We'll be right back. She's awake and we're back. Here's more of the world we deserve. All right. First up, Jim, you want to take it? Yeah, John from Cincinnati writes in and says, as far as the tongue goes, you're not asking the right questions. It's not how it got there, but could they have solved either crime without the other? The tongue ties the scientist massacre to Annie's death, which was vital. Did Guilty Hank leave it there as his life was spinning out of control? Maybe Clark did it to lead the detectives to the right answer. Maybe it was supernatural because some things in life just cannot be explained. Who knows for sure? We may never know. But I think it is nostalgic bias to say every question was answered in season one. It was not. This finale did it for me. And just to reiterate, massive dissatisfaction amongst the fan base during season one's original run because super disappointed that the stuff with Marty's daughter never turned out to be anything other than a commentary on his work creeping into his home life. Uh, the spirals on his daughter's, you know, that was like a lot of the evidence uh, with the creepy behavior of his daughter to that never paid out. The supernatural stuff did not pay out at all. It was all just a bunch of crazy yeah. people. There was a lot of people. In fact, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, episode six, seven, eight kind of as a whole were seen as kind of like a letdown or a blah or like, you know, some kind of shuffle around cr- on the, my recent rewatch, I didn't feel that at all. I felt like there was mm. solid mm-hmm. stuff throughout all of the late stages of True Detective. But contemporaneously, there's a lot of people rewriting their memories in real time about how they felt about that, and especially season two. People coming out of the woodwork saying that season two is redeemed in light of how bad a season four is. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. it's a subjective opinion. I'm not going to sure. fight with people, but like yeah. I vociferously disagree with that. Um, that yeah. is some that is some some wild talk to me, but uh, yeah, no, not every question. Uh, then we got the tongue, um, and that's the thing. Like the reality is, the tongue was required because if the tongue wasn't there, you're not able to open this cold case, mm-hmm. reopen this cold case with the scientist because there's absolutely no connection there. Um, so if Sedna did it, one of her motivations might have been to see justice done. Yeah. Uh, or if the women, you know, it dropped out of their pocket, flopped onto the floor, 
Yeah. Uh, they had grand plans for it. Yeah. It's just weird to, to uh, directly address it in the finale and then not actually address it. So mm-hmm. moving on to Raphael, who says from the beginning of these amazing claustrophobic caves to reveal that it's the women of the town, even to the underlying theme that Annie was represented by the women of the town. She's always been there and always will be there always as represented by the other indigenous women. Sadly, it reflects current society where a corporation of corruption takes advantage of citizens, especially those that are underrepresented. Hopefully justice will also be here, even if sometimes people have to take action for it to happen. Some will not like that all the breadcrumbs, such as the oranges, the ghosts, etc., were not answered, or that two women going spelunking without ropes is a lack of attention to detail. But all shows have that. People do stupid shit in real life all the time as well. I especially found the people tugging on the like, whoa, they're going to go out in the cave without ropes and stuff. But yeah, they're going to go out in the middle of a blizzard to try to stay one step ahead of the homicide investigation. It's a, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like they were in fuck it. We're taking chances mode. Like mm, also yeah. Marty and Russ should have waited for backup before they went down to take out uh Chomo King yellow fucker. <laughs> right. Like sure. they knew yeah. that was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. They almost both got killed because it was such a bad idea. Um, but uh, they didn't, they didn't do that. Um, but they were seen as heroic and badass. Um, yeah. I, the, the, the oranges, that's the other thing that like, that's not a tree detective thing, but that felt very bolted on. And I made a lot of sense. And I thought for sure somebody would make something about the orange shirt day and how that ties into like, um, you know, the Canadian side of like uh, uh, restorative justice for, for native uh, North Americans. Uh, and they never quite made that. It just feels like if you didn't, if if a if an emailer hadn't sent that connection in, I'd be like, God, I, yeah, what the fuck were what was with that oranges? Just something her mom liked, I guess. The spiral, but the spiral didn't mean the the spiral meant is a symbol still for hunters nothing. that danger is there. And like, okay, big picture, my understanding is the native women found this out. They started this informal uh, network to investigate. A lot of the natives uh, got involved with that. A lot of the indigenous people got involved with that. And they kind of banded together under this spiral umbrella. That's why Dagok took off as soon as the law people started uh, asking questions. Because he's like, yeah, fucking I know we fucking killed them scientists. I don't want any part of this. And he left the spiral as a warning to others. To to, to, to I, 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 that's That's... But that doesn't tie into the orange and the orange peel and the fact that it's a spiral that yeah there seems like there's something more there right like this is a this is a spiritual tie to an to the other world not some symbol that people have adopted in a righteous cause yeah it feels like that was one that uh was an intentional way to try to tie in another thing to season one and yeah all all those attempts or the whale bones um, i mean there's a spiral there it's like yeah, that's yeah. stuff that the the group of women couldn't have done. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It, it just be it's it's just so weird that like the payoff was oh yeah, my mom liked to peel these things in one spiral like this spiral. It's like roughly it'd be like if um, my mom when she's growing up used to play a spiral graph and make these spirals, and we yeah. found a spiral graph. I don't know. It's just it's just a weird. It, it seemed like a weird non sequitur. But um, with you. 
All right, mmm, lemon cakes writes in and says, right in the beginning, Navarro said it. No one cared about Annie Kay until white men died. Maybe some of the negative chatter around the series comes from the shock of being shown an element of cultural genocide. When the Truth and Reconciliation Council in Canada used the word genocide to describe indigenous treatment, there was a lot of denial and defensiveness. The most difficult thing for me to witness in the show was the murder of Annie. She fought for her community, the environment, and then she fought for her life. It took a group of men to hold her down while she fought. She still didn't die. Then the man who claimed to love her finished the job. This was ultimately her story, the story of many missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. I'm still upset over that scene, watching her fight to survive. How many families do not know where their sister, mother, or friend is or what happened to them? Targeted because they are women, minority women who ultimately didn't seem to matter to the public or law enforcement. Telling these stories is so important. I've been made to feel discomfort. And that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the natural reaction to having injustice pointed out when you are in the group or very closely as uh, identifiable as the group that mm-hmm. is causing that injustice. Yeah, that's absolutely uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel it all the time in shows like this. And I don't feel like I've been an awful person toward women, but I know that that history is there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of yeah this message needs to get out there because you know there are people out there who are still doing this stuff and there are people like me who want to see some kind of justice and this is the only way it gets done it has to be brought to light yeah i do wonder why people um because like by the time i got into this culture like i was starting to get interested in this culture war stuff i was just coming out of waking up to the fact that my religion and i'm a i was a jehovah's witness if you didn't know um, you know, it's like uh, there. I, I I can't disprove Christianity, but I can disprove what the Jehovah's Witnesses core beliefs because it just it just they're just <laughs> yeah. yeah we got some wacky wacky beliefs, but I sincerely held them, and I guess um it it, it like opened my mind to like oh shit I was wrong about everything. So when people started to be like oh the Me Too movement or like you know my preconceptions about women in society, I was like oh I was like primed to be like fuck uh, yeah i don't know anything what's what's the actual thing going on here ladies can you tell me what's going on i didn't approach it of like oh this is a th- problem with you you are this you are it's like i'm like oh sure i, yeah. I don't understand when like you know people get like I, i've seen the stuff over like the you know um some of the stuff in the truth and reconciliation council in canada like you know they start throwing around words like genocide and people are like whoa 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 and i like I, I guess the the only argument they can make when you're talking about like um, you know native children's bones being uncovered in like churchyards and stuff like that is like well it's fucked up shit but I don't know if it's genocide like that's a wild defense to like well it's it's definitely fucked up but what is it genocide I don't know if we were shoving people in the ovens or anything I. I, I don't know. I don't understand. It's a semantic it's, argument at that point. It's yeah. a, it's not like if, it'd be one thing if you're like, well, it's a difference of fact. Like uh, there's uh, we just didn't do yeah. that. Like this, these were bones were planted there, or like these records were falsified. But just to be like, okay, yeah, it's bad, but is it genocide? That seems like you're fighting in on really shaky ground. Well, I mean, uh, I I get it. No one wants to be even indirectly associated with something so heinous, right? <laughs> I I understand the impulse if you look like these people, but. Yeah, you and have a lot to also people... tell it for, you know, tell it like it is. Say it, say the word for what it is. You can't hide it... from it, and and that's part of like what Liz is getting at, or Liz's character is getting at. Like, you can't just hold the hatch. Yeah, because nothing gets solved by holding the hatch. Nothing. 
and I wonder if also is like the fact that like the people that are alive they're um taking a uh, offense or I guess umbrage like are the relatives of the people who were doing it like you know in, yeah in, in some uh, cases in, absolutely in in days, probably like all cases yeah yeah um, go back far enough but uh I, I don't know I, I think everybody's everybody's parents probably did some shitty things if you go back far enough in the family tree that's what <laughs> I mean yeah so um but yeah it is um but but also yeah I also understand the discomfort of like you know feeling um you know you grow up and you you, th- you think you're the the hero of the story and you got taught in school this thing or that thing and then you grow up and someone kind of gives you new information and it's like oh what does this mean what if we weren't the heroes of every story that we were told what if when i was growing up playing cowboys and indians that was like super offensive and i'm really mm-hmm. i'm i'm celebrating a cultural and actual genocide i don't know but i like, have nostalgic rea- feelings for that time right i was a kid yeah. i was having fun yeah the reality is there's a whole ass continent teeming with people with civilizations um, and nations and cultures and they're interacting and they're going about their business so some good some bad some doing genocides of their own and then another per- another group of people came to those shores and 500 years later 90% of those other people are gone mm-hmm. uh, you can you can dress it up and you can say it's this and that and you can say manifest destiny but like at the end I don't know what you call depopulating two continents of 90% of its population other than a genocide like there's no way around it like you can say like oh well maybe our great grandfathers did but our grandfathers were taking those kids to those schools for nothing but the noblest purposes i i just don't i just don't i don't know how you i don't know how you do that math um so yeah especially when is, exploitation still happens right it's not a solved issue it's not like yes sure. multiple generations ago this bad thing happened and now we've gotten over it and we're all good it doesn't happen anymore that shit still yeah. happens worldwide but that's a that's another trick you know it's like someone pointed out that like when you see pictures of like the civil rights movement it's always black and white it's always like that other time to happen but like right. no this was like our grand our parents were alive when this happened all of our grand mo- many of our grandparents were were on the wrong side of those those fights uh you know emmett till wasn't murdered at five years after the civil war happened right like this shit was happening that, that's like to say nothing of the indigenous thing which doesn't really even get like you know much oxygen in like a civil rights type of context um mm-hmm. anyway uh it's a shame that's the thing it's like i want to say it's a shame that this attempt to shine a light on a very important issue has become so divisive but like i suspect at least part of the reason i don't want to say to everybody is <laughs> is is this way but i, I gotta say that that's probably a, a a decent sized portion of the backlash is because it is um yeah maybe it was it wasn't told in the best way possible but like i think that the fact that the attempt is is being made and and at all is has got some people riled up i think that's yeah. hard to argue against uh let's go so these were things we're broadly phrasing the show we got some critical emails that are coming up next uh adam is says i thought it was a decent and not spectacular episode but a really fun season overall I got used to the supernatural stuff, and once I made peace with that, I enjoyed the thing a little more. As a staunch member of Team Rational, my only complaint was how very silly it got in terms of believability. Pete murders his dad, and he covers it up. Local crew force the scientists outside to die in the cold, and they're covered up. Wheeler killed by Navarro and Danvers, covered up. Just a little too neat in the end. I don't know. This is maybe the problem with supernatural stories. The plausibility of the narrative becomes unimportant. Too neat. Yeah. Like I, 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 but I think 
the cleverness of the cover-up that the mines did to keep doing the pollution and maintain the facade is used to cover up the crimes, quote-unquote, of the women that killed the scientists. I think that's neat. And also, season one of True Detective dealt with a lot of cover-ups of murders and crimes by the protagonists. Um, and it wasn't supernatural at all, it turns out. So I, I don't know. The, 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 the criticism about the supernatural didn't seem to connect with the cover-ups to me here. Um, Adam says it's also now clear completely, at least to me, that this is a completely supernatural ghost arc. The clue is Clark, video of the sandwich dude, and Clark freaking out. She's awake. He does that right before the power goes out and the local women come in. He had no way of knowing about the women at all, as shown by his insistence that it was Annie. Evidently, he was sensitive to spirits like Navarro, and throughout the show, every time the lights go out somewhere, something supernatural happens. Coincidence. Um, You're factoring out coincidence here. The phone shut off at the exact moment. The Clark shook that the women busted in. It's all coincidence. It's like sometimes I got a song in my head. I turn on the TV and that song's playing. Song. The yeah. hell? Um, and, and also I'm the other thing about that coincidence. I know you are. And I'm, I'm going to okay. back you up. Is like the other thing <laughs> yeah. about that phenomenon is we were not privy to all the times where Clark just woke up screaming and ran through the tunnel because he's freaking out about Annie and Sedna and being awake and everyone talks him down and he goes for another couple of weeks of being okay. And then like it, it we didn't see this seems likely that Probably. stuff like that happened. That's one of the reasons he was so isolated is one of the reasons everybody, you know, other than, you know, the whole murder thing, the, the reason the rest of the crew turned on him. So, Yeah. Yeah, the coincidence that you have eight callous murderers all sequestered in this research station. Yeah. <laughs> People who will willingly jump in and kick a girl to death. I thought that was plausible. That, like, you know, these scientists that who are this are willing to pollute a whole land to get their research done, and then they've suffered maybe a permanent setback that they believe and they're so on that they would like in a fit of rage kill this woman yeah I could see it okay scientists and engineers are people after all you know oh yeah they're more educated than most you'd hope but rationality and prone to violence and all that stuff I don't know I don't know if they're any less than that than, than, than the average person all right let's move over to Kurt Miller who says no answer for who moved the tongue a show built around clues and evidence and one of the biggest ones is just Shrug. Let the audience decide. What in the world was the goo under the desk? That was never explained. Can we, uh, I feel can like we talked about some we, of this stuff. Yeah, and then the guy never know what'll come up. So I yeah. when I'm compiling the feedback. Um The goo under the desk only serves the purpose to remind us that the tongue was there. Like I think in reality yeah. there would be no mark. It would have evaporated, it would have been like I I think it was a uh, a set dressing error, maybe, to put that there. But on the other hand, I think they're also worried that people, like if Jodie Foster is looking at a blank piece of the floor, you do flashback, like, like they did yeah. with the, the star yeah, you could do that tool, right? I mean, they do it. They just maybe didn't want to do it too much. I don't know. Yeah, and maybe they were, but the, yeah, the goo I think was just a shorthand for tongue was here, even though it should. Yeah, yeah there there shouldn't be any residue. I would think. Uh, another question, what was the rim rolling down the hall? Another cheap, spooky device that never paid off and totally clashes with Team Logical's reveal being another true detective Scooby-Doo thing. Well, I hate to tell you, most of this show, I think, clashes with Team Logical. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like this is the only season of True Detective where I think the a reasonable person uh, with uh, examining all the evidence would be forced to conclude some supernatural shit happened. It's the most logical explanation, ironically enough. I, I think so. Yeah, it's the Santa Claus thing. Um, yeah, because you, you like even to explain all the injuries to the scientists. Sedna did it is way way more compelling than the crazy meteorological event that would have had to happen in conjunction with a polar bear attack in conjunction with a slab avalanche that would explain the yeah. rest of the the evidence yeah and the the convenient arrival and dismissal of blizzards I mean it's a lot of natural phenomena happening here too mm-hmm. um uh, so Rose just helps him dump bodies I much preferred the fan theory that she didn't even exist when the fan theories work better than the show's writing, that's saying something. What's this? This this criticism doesn't uh, land for me, right? Like, sure. why? I mean, Rose helps him dump bodies. I mean, we why, don't know much about she Rose. Problem with that? Maybe she's dumped a thousand bodies. That's Maybe what I'm she... saying. I think that's a clear implication that Rose has done some shady shit. Yeah, more than just cut a wolf open. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Okay, here's one I agree with. So more pollution makes very exact and specific scientific data better. Got it. Uh, yeah, I don't know that that would actually help the DNA and their microorganism all that much. I think the better criticism is there's a lot better ways to, the, like, like okay, here's a way yeah. you can thaw, thaw the th- permafrost with no pollution. Uh, drill a couple Heat? parallel holes around the vein that you want to drill into. Install some copper piping and flush that through with some warm water. That, that permafrost will be defrost pretty freaking quick, I would think. And then you could drill and get your stuff. Now, I, I think this specific one, it's like the scientists might know that these chemicals are not going to affect your sample. And, you know, and it's also thawing. the <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, I, I don't know why it has to be a problem, but I agree. There's a way easier ways to get about what they want to do. I, and I, I do wish they had had some kind of cult motivation for these scientists to be behaving so unscientifically sometimes. Yeah, uh, he also complains about the scientists being bloodthirsty murderers, which, yeah, I kind of agree with. Uh, also, why twist and shout, which we talked about before. Um, the bleeding ears, I don't think we've really come up with a good explanation for that other than they so have they very small pinkies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone knows this about scientists, tiny pinkies. And why did one of the scientists gouge out his eyes? Weren't there burns too? Not explained. I think when they're referring to burns, they're referring to wind burns. Like I this guy's so, yeah. burnt, like burnt corneas were like uh, wind burnt. And I think that's what they, they even explicitly said that was the case with Otis Heiss. But, and uh, the hypothermia ah. uh, causes people to do crazy things. Uh, this is like a real effect. And so gouging out your own eyes, biting your arms, those are things yeah. that might happen. Yeah, I do think that like the science, like I'm thinking scientists, and engineers that have been working in clandestine with the support of this evil mine, come down and find some native woman who has destroyed years of research and have wrecked her robot arms and stuff. I, I don't know. That doesn't seem doesn't seem too far fetched that they would kill her in a fit of rage. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I like to think better of scientists, but. These, these scientists were some weird scientists. Yeah. These are like these are like mad scientists. These are like Red Skull from Captain America. Okay, like they have sure. left. Yeah, once you cross the the give me more pollution line, 
Yeah. These are yeah. bad scientists. I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jeremy says, in listening to your coverage of, coverage of Fargo, you both seem down on the idea of Lorraine setting his uh, fellow pr- or fe- uh, his fellow prisoners loose on Roy Tillman. You both made comments about mob justice not being good. What's the difference in the season of True Detective where you seemingly have no problem with mob justice against the Salal guys? Roy was genuinely a bad guy to his core. The Salal guys murdered someone in the heat of the moment, but don't forget Andy Kay was swinging those heavy fuel cans around and hit one of them in the head. I think this got too heated and killed her. You saw their reaction and the sobbing after they first thought she was dead. Do you think Roy ever broke down like that for his crimes? What's the difference? It's an interesting question I had to think about a bit. Did I... I I mean, I understand. Look, there's a difference between me condoning something and understanding why someone might do something. Right. And And there's also a difference between condoning an action and justice in my view of the two things. So, like... Yeah. Personally, I might condone it and I might say societally, this is a terrible thing to do. This is this is the Batman problem, right? Um, this is the fiction problem where we have perfect information in fiction. In the real world, we have very dubious information sources usually. And there are always complications in that. If I can say oh, 100% for sure this person killed this person because I saw it happen, I think there are a lot more... Uh, options open to you for justice at that point <laughs> but i also don't think that vigilante justice is a very good thing yeah and that's the the, the other wrinkle in that, that i think you started to touch on is you're comparing lorraine who is a billionaire with tons of political connections and uh judicial connections and could devise like this gr- crazy um you know and, and has gone through the legal system has got a guy in jail and it's you know uh like, like compare her versus the women in this village who feel like they have no one to turn to they're 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 poor by you know uh US Canadians probably standards um they don't have those connections in fact they have you know they they have the problem that they're so invisible that you can murder them at a six times higher rate and no one blinks an eye like do you I mean like I'm trying to think of I'm struggling to think of any other demographic that you could be like their murder rate six times higher and people wouldn't just be out of arms like you know as a matter of course you know um mm-hmm. yeah there's a difference between Lorraine and the women of Ennis it's their power and the status and and how they choose to use it and and their their level of powerlessness so it's like I yeah and again I'm not saying that I want to model the U.S. prison system on the justice that the Innis women dispense to these scientists. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Right. Right. That'd be crazy. Like, that's not the world that I would. That might be the world we deserve, but it's not the world that I would engineer. <laughs> so that's the I guess that's the big difference. Um, yeah. Sorry if I came out too soft on that on the instant take, but there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Uh, let's get to Sean who says hello Jim and Aaron I'm writing you to express my dissatisfaction for the True Detective season 4 finale I am a straight white male from Nebraska and it's bothersome to me how the thoughts about this TV show have become such a socio-political issue on social media I feel like I was made to think that my dislike of the product somehow reveals any sexism or racism I do not want to be either of those things and don't think that I am I simply did not like how this ending of the show was executed for a number of reasons uh I don't think the show itself provokes it. The big bad are viewed as a group of white male scientists that I just don't believe would be grouped together in any way in 2023. Certainly that team would consist of multiple females and people of color. At least I'd like to think so. 
It's kind of like how the movie Barbie cast old white men as the entire board of directors for Mattel when in reality it consists of 40% women. Maybe that percentage should be flipped, but don't lie to us about the reality. I think this show is guilty of doing the same thing. I'm aware of the privilege I have, and I do still lot do still have a lot to learn, but I think the show brought this on itself with the unrealistic casting and portrayal of men as such villains. I see where you're coming from, Sean. Um, and I have had similar thoughts in my journey um, to, 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 to dealing with some of this stuff. And it is suck sometimes. Like, you know, I don't like where Star Wars is at. And I think a lot of that blame can be laid fairly at one Kathleen Kennedy. But when I go out into the internet and I, I talk about this stuff and I look to the left and I look to the right at the people who are in the mob with me calling for Kathleen Kennedy's head, I'm not liking the company that I'm within. And I try yeah. to very hard to make sure that I separate myself from that company and make sure that that company knows that they're not welcome over onto my picket line of reasonable people who have reasonable takes. They're not based on any kind of gender cultural war uh, about Star Wars and the mismanagement of the franchise. Um, yeah, I mean, like it sometimes sucked to be uh, the be the the you know it's like that the, the Amazon head or not Amazon the Onion headline the worst person you know makes a good point like that's uncomfortable sometimes when you find yourself not liking something. Um, but I don't, I do like, I mean, I, I just don't know how you can go to like r slash true detective and look at any random thread, <laughs> look at the highly upvoted comments and be like, this is a sane commentary on a show. Uh, hmm. it's all conspiratorial thinking about a legion of fans and a bunch of high paid critics and their golfing buddies and minorities and they're pushing an agenda and they're doing it at the expense of white men. Again, I gotta say at least half of the scientists at Lost Station were explicitly not white. Most of them weren't even American. Mm -hmm. But yet, look how easily we are. Like, oh, how these native women murdered these innocent white men. And they took it way too far. And they should have taken them to a trial. I, I just, I just like, you just gotta, you gotta be careful not to let your heart grow dark. Just because you maybe feel like you got wung, you got, you got winged by one of these shots fired. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and also, we have to always remember when we're making these criticisms that for a hundred years of cinema, we cast entire race of people like Native Americans as the one-dimensional villain, like mm -hmm. young black men as the one-dimensional villains in police procedurals and war films and cowboy films and westerns and and no one batted an eye. Like obviously, minorities were probably saying the whole time, "This is a bunch of shit." Uh, the only time we can get an Oscar is when we're portray portraying the the slave of a master. It's like there's, there's, there's like fucked up dynamics for a hundred years, and for like ten years, the pendulum is switched swinging the other way. We cannot oh, get too upset if a couple of inaccuracies are made here and there. Like, what does that and say the about the reason us? it was happening for so long? Is not the same reason it's happening in the other direction now, right? I, I think yeah. this is an artistic decision. Uh, this is this is Issa Lopez saying something. And I think if you go to her and say, "Do you believe that you know white men are the problem with this?" She'd yeah. say, "No, not not right now." But this has been the case for so long. Now everyone is kind of overlooking this this issue, right? And yeah. this is an artistic decision to say to to categorize it as the thing that has been happening for so long. I don't I don't yes. think this is racism. This is not her saying white men are evil. This is her mm. saying, this has been the status quo for so long, 
and this is how it's been depicted forever because they're the ones with the power yeah that's another thing is like i think that um you know uh it isn't it uh it, it's like also the other problem as a straight white man from nebraska as you said in the thing is you are kind of probably a decade behind where a lot of people in Hollywood are and understanding of things like structural racism, institutional racism, weight, uh, racism, the concept of whiteness. Like if you're in the neighborhood that Issa Lopez lives in philosophically, you would understand that whiteness has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Whiteness sure. is an artificial construct that has been constructed in America and broadly the West to draw a bright line between the good people that have the good philosophies and the good laws and the good culture and the good civilization and the rest of the world that's bad almost inherently so and it's, it's like the man the concept of the man right like it but doesn't like, necessarily mean the government directly like like even explaining i can hear some of you people switching off the podcast because like oh, yeah. i could go on and on about how at the turn of the 20th century irish people weren't white German people weren't white. My people, Italian, Italian people, people weren't, weren't white. white. Yeah. yeah, Jim's people, my people weren't seen as white. In fact, there's like, I, I did this whole podcast on the my three right turns, my briefly lived political podcast, where I took, I, I looked at racism as like the way the German-American racism that he experienced in the 19th and early 20th century. And there's this like wild magazine cover at the like in, in the first year of like World War One, where a German soldier was depicted as a black ape with a club dragging off a white woman like that's an would be obviously coded african-american uh racist towards african-american but like no like there was like yeah, yeah those were not white people those were the those were the non-white people the white people were the white anglo-saxons that came yeah. and colonized america and everybody else was the barbarians trying to get in or the barbarians that they were trying to replace so mm-hmm. like that is the level of discourse that we're at and a lot of folks just got left behind on that and unfortunately it's going to be more and more alienating going forward until we can all kind of like get on the same page about this stuff so my advice is anytime you hear something that makes you think that all men are evil or all white men are evil just think hey they're not talking about me or maybe find ways that they are kind of talking about you as just an intellectual experience. You're a good person. You know that. Sure. I know mm-hmm. that. Maybe try that on and see if you look at that worldview, if some things make a little bit more sense and you can integrate those into your worldview and eventually some of this stuff starts making more sense in the, the culture war. That's my advice. Um, but also if I'm extending empathy, it does get a little like I, I, I even I can get a little bit like this is a little much with some of the heavy-handed stuff i don't think uh true detective is one of those things but um yeah, yeah. it's, it's what it's i meant easy earlier about offense. feeling the guilt yeah it's it's yeah. like it, it's not my guilt to feel but sometimes you still feel it anyway yeah yeah and like you know there's a difference between feeling guilty and and bad about something that's intrinsic and it's also like you know oh um you know, I, I want to be part of the, the the solution going forward. You know, it's like I'm not yeah. I don't feel mm-hmm. guilty. Like, you know, uh, again, I've talked explained to my family, you know, came post Civil War pre World War One. So we weren't with the Kaiser and we weren't the slaves. So it's like we're kind of but like still. Yeah. Um, 
you, you want to kind of like see what you can and, and I, I just don't think the, the defensiveness comes from any that's what i was trying to get to it's like it's not about guilt it's about and shame it's about hey this is thing that actually happened they're having real impacts on the world today still going on in case of murdered indigenous women still going on today what can i do to help yeah you know let's put the blame aside what can i do to help one thing you can do to help is just educate yourself more about you know why are the women missing? What can we do? Like, uh, how many more resources do we need to to bring these people to justice? To make these population feel safe within our borders? You know, it's the same thing we'd want to do for any group of citizens that were being, you know, disproportionately preyed upon. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, let's move on to our final email. David it says. If the water's bad, why aren't you melting snow? The problems with the water in the pipes, not outside. I mean, for drinking and cooking, that'd be simple, right? It's interesting, David, because I follow a lot of outdoor survivalist types and a lot of off-the-grid the types. And uh, someone just asked a young lady who's living with her husband in the Canadian Rockies or something. They talk about how hard it is for them to get water. And, they, of course, they're surrounded. You know, she's making these TikToks and Instagrams. They're surrounded by snow. And everybody's like, well, why don't you just melt the snow and Mm -hmm. she points out that like it's actually really hard to satisfy two people's daily requirements for washing for drinking for food preparation by melting snow by volume snow's big the water you get is very small like it actually takes an enormous amount of energy to convert ice to water like to do that Mm -hmm. phase change state it takes a lot of energy to do that and it's a lot just for two people to provide for themselves and like a imagine a whole town's full of people trying to provide their drinking water, their cooking water, their cleaning water that touches their skin by melting snow in the Arctic. Yeah. How much wood you'd have to burn, how much coal you'd have to burn, how much gas you'd have to burn. It's 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 is harder than you think. So that's, I think, the actual scientific explanation for that. Uh, David mm-hmm. continues. The mine has a camera in the middle of nowhere focused on a caved in entrance. That even though they had to break in a slow secret hideout, there's no cameras anywhere. Mr. I don't like to listen to my girlfriend whom I love screaming as a killer. It's that Amy had ruined years of work, hence why she's murdered. The place is there to make this world bettering discovery with the mind seemingly a cover or at least co-conspirator after break in seven years ago. Uh, why wouldn't you upgrade security? Hell, a camera in that lab area would have at least clued you into the fact that the cleaning lady found your underground lair. Why do you say there are no cameras in the lab? I... Because if there were, this mystery would be solved. Like, they did cut the power, though, right? If you had cameras in the lab, they would have seen that the women had broken in. They would have seen that the, you know, that their secret was Who out. Would have seen they, it? The guys at the the research station. Oh, oh, you mean when they're like doing their their investigation? Well, even like if you have, yeah, like wouldn't you? The, the women are investigating them for Annie's murder. What's he? And he's saying like, no, that um, you know, why why wouldn't anyone have noticed that women had like broken in, like these cleaning women had broken into your tunnel and was investigating it? If you had cameras in the research facility, I mean, the mine doesn't the mine have an interest in not in this information not getting out? Like then you start asking many many questions. So you're saying that you find a plot. So I, I actually agree with David's criticism here. I find it implausible that this research station wouldn't have cameras in place, that they're monitoring mm-hmm. and recording for security. I think and for I, various I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to judge this. Like 
there's a lot of stuff that just shouldn't happen in television shows because cell cell phones exist, you know. But yet, oh yeah, it, it does. Like you know, ubiquitous cameras is going to increasingly make these kind of whodunits almost impossible. Um, like you say the same thing about a lot of the knives out glass onion type stuff. Like at some point, you're probably got to give people a little room for creative license, or you're just going to get to a situation where most murders are just not whodunits, you know especially mm-hmm. on this kind of scale and these kind of like locations. So, well, I mean, couldn't, couldn't you just say that Hank got there early and deleted that footage? I mean, they could have, but they would have to address it. Like the fact that they didn't even address they, they could have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe something that, uh, Ms. Mrs. Lopez could, could take into her next project is, yeah, you could probably, um, lampshade some of the stuff that you did in the season and would have gone down a lot better. Like someone suggested in the feedback, like what if yeah. Liz had been like when they cut back to the ice caves, Navarro, we've been walking for hours. Where the hell are we going? Like that would have established that maybe these caves are further apart than like literally right outside the Saval station. You could have been yeah. like, show the women uh, place the tongue as a, yeah. as a sign. Yeah. Yeah, you could have been like all the, uh, you know, we tried to pull the camera files, but everything got corrupted in the power surge or whatever. You could have. Yeah. But but the fact that like, I I think it is valid. The fact that like lampshading at least tells you that the like is a way for the the author of the material to say, I have thought of this. Relax. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm 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 a smart person like you. And when you when when the entire writing room goes and like, oh, yeah, this is airtight. We don't even have to like lampshade it It makes it feel like it is a plot hole. So I I think I'll also say that that camera is not out in the middle of nowhere. That camera is at the entrance to their secret underground lab caverns. Right. Right. Like they don't want anybody going near that and they want to know if they do. So and crucially, that camera makes a lot of sense has security forces that probably are dudes is paid to like look at cameras. They probably have things set mm-hmm. up to alert on motion and things and that, that the Salal guys probably don't have, I would imagine. Yeah. Why would but, you need uh, that on balance? I think they could have done a little bit better job defensive writing, um, especially on a whodunit show that, you know, people are going to yeah. pull apart for clues and details and plot holes and things like that. But uh, true. That's going to do it for the podcast. If we have a wrap-up podcast, it'll be because you, the listener, uh, wrote us in some feedback, or perhaps maybe uh, there'll be some more interviews and stuff going around. We'll see. Um, send it in to truedetectiveaboldmove.com if you want to increase the chance of us doing a wrap-up podcast. If you took issue with any things we had to say today, uh, for or against, I would like to talk about it more. TrueDetectiveAtBaldMove.com. Follow us at all of our social medias at BaldMove. If you want to know what we're doing next, hint, hint, The Walking Dead and Shogun, as well as Dune Part 2 in the immediate future. Uh, That's going to do it. Support.BaldMove.com if you'd want to get ad-free feeds and more BaldMove content in your life. We'll see you next week on the wrap-up or hopefully on The Walking Dead or Shogun. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you, everybody. Mm -hmm.